Welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. All right. Today we have Jay Lee. He separated as a chief in Navy EOD, did 13 years, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um... Well, I went to Afghanistan three times, did uh, East Africa, uh, and then uh, and then went to Bahrain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the kingdom of Bahrain, if you will. <laughs> Got that, uh, what do they call it, money deployment? Yeah, Operation Enduring Per Diem. <clears throat> it's fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, you know, always start off with it. It's the, the tried and true first question. How'd you find EOD? You know, Teron, EOD found me. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> um, I know that sounds weird, but that is actually true. Yeah. I had no idea EOD even existed. And um, I joined the Navy with a SEAL contract because I was okay. like, well, I want to go. I want to do something, you know, cool slash I want to better my chances to contribute to the war effort, you know what I mean? Yeah. In my opinion. And and that was to get over to Afghanistan, get over to Iraq, and do my part, right? right. Before that was my seventeen year old version of patriotism right there. So I had a SEAL contract and I joined the Navy and my boot camp division just so happened to be sponsored by EOD Mobile Unit Three. Like we had little really we had special little ball caps. We had Mobile Unit 3 t-shirts. We felt like we were hot shit. No one knew what EOD even was, but we're like, they sponsored our boot camp division, so we're badass. And That's awesome. I had no idea that happened. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely didn't know. And they came out and um, kind of hung out with us and told us, taught us more about EOD, what it was. It was a rate at that point. It had, I feel like it just became or This was in 08. Yeah. Um, July of 08. So, yeah, it was fresh still as a rate. And I was like, damn, that sounds badass. I can do the things essentially that I want to do going in that I read about. And I was like, okay, that's all what really interests me. But I won't just solely be a team guy. I won't just work with SEALs. And that's what really sold it for me is like you – uh, who was it? It was Ted Sykes. Yeah. I don't know if he's still in or not. I don't know if we can say his name. So, yeah. Just did. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but it was like, you have the potential to work with every soft unit that there is. And I was like, that's really cool. Because, I mean, yeah, SEALs are SEALs and it's cool. And like, I, it was 17-year-old me, or well, 18 at that point. And... You know, they had the allure and everything like that. And no one really knows. And, and it's what I always tell people is EOD is the Navy's best kept secret. Yeah. Because if if these teenagers, right, think SEALs are badass, if they just knew what EOD was, I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> um, we just, we're just bad at marketing ourselves. True. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was that. Was that. And I, I learned about it. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that because I can do that mission plus some stuff and work with all other soft units and not just be tied to one. And it was actually a really funny sequence of events because 
literally no one does this in boot camp. No one goes from uh, having a seal contract to essentially DORing, right? Yeah. You have to you have to fill out the paperwork to to then sign a new contract. But I talked with the EOD dive motivator at boot camp first. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I would like to do. Is it possible? He's like, hell yeah, hell yeah, it's possible. Are you serious? I was like, yeah. I mean, I just I have this. There's no. It's not like I think I'm gonna fail or anything, but I just really am interested in in EOD now. Like I just didn't even know it was a thing. And I don't want to miss the opportunity if it's possible. Yeah. And he's like, hell yeah, I will help you no matter what. And he brought the, he, he went out, he left, and this was in their office. He leaves, he goes talk to the, uh, the SO, the, the SEAL dive motivator. Five minutes later, that dude bursts in the office. He's like, Lee, what the fuck? I was like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like I was during the headlights, I was like, what do I do with my hand? I don't, how do I respond to that? You know, little recruit Lee. And it was an interesting phenomenon because he's like, this never, like, what are you doing? He was like, I was like, I just don't want to do this. You know, I, I would like to be EOD instead. And he's like, you think you can just come in here and fucking pick and choose what you want to do and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> kind of like, I mean, I'm not there yet. And and, and it was, you know, always ingrained in our heads, like, the moment you think you're not going to make it in something, you're not going to make it, yeah. right? And especially if you want to go do something else, yeah. that's always going to be there. So I was like, at the end of the day, I'm saving you a lot of time and everyone else that is, you know, going to be in the pipeline because I'm not going to want to do that. Yeah. I want to do this. And this is now a burning desire that I have. And he's like, okay, you know, I'll deal with it. I can respect that. And made me do a bunch of push-ups and, and then turned me over to the, uh, the EOD dive motivator. And uh, the rest is history. See, that's awesome. Yeah. That I, I can only imagine. Like, Oh, man. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's great. Dude. It was awkward. <laughs> it was painful, but uh, it was good. It was, it was something that happened early on in my career that, really hammered the point of if you feel something in your gut, right? That was my real, as an adult, right? Quote unquote adult. I was still 18. Granted. Yeah. That is legally an adult looking back. And I was like, I was a fucking kid, Yeah, <laughs> but that was like, trust your gut. Yeah. Right? You have to trust your gut because if I didn't do that, I, I probably wouldn't have made it through buds because I had that in the back of my mind. It was, right. it was planted in my mind very deeply that I wanted to do this. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was a, a great lesson for me and my only saving grace as an 18 year old of being mature. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> for the rest of your time in boot camp doing dive motivator stuff, did you receive special interest? Um, yeah, let special interest to uh, say the least. <laughs> that was, uh, oh man, I remember the, the SWIC guy, right? The SWIC dive motivator. He was, he, he was crazy. Okay. This dude, instructor Baron, I will never forget this guy. I wasn't even going SWIC, but he had this 12 sided die, right? He just carried it with him all the time. And he would tell you to drop 
roll the die and you had to do 10 times the amount of push-ups shown on the die Jeez. Oh, like i don't even and so I, for some reason whenever we walked on the pool deck lee drop down is like boom roll the die every single time so i mean I, I guess that helped me out but yeah it was yeah it was it was like it was a thing that's funny i got a lot of attention <laughs> nice yeah that's that's an awesome way to start though like i like it if you if you want to if you have something in your mind that you want to pursue just freaking pursue it that's, you have a, that's to. legit um <clears throat> so getting through boot camp going through eod school anything crazy in, in eod school that you got into that that i'll clarify you are willing to share yeah i don't want to incriminate anyone exactly <laughs> i don't know if i want to tell any matador stories <laughs> yeah yeah, the the bulls. That's what that's what he's talking about. Bulls. Yeah, bulls. bulls. <laughs> Chase, running of the bulls, if you will. That's a tradition. Um, no, I mean, like everyone else, it was a probably a shock about just exactly how much information and how technical, technically based the school is. That was a huge learning curve, especially you know. Granted, I mean, I just really didn't apply myself in high school a lot. I always felt, and my mentors told me that I possessed a good amount of intellect, but I just didn't care, you know? And yeah, that might be an excuse, but that's just how I was. And it was, you know, definitely a mature way of going about high school, but I had already made the decision that I was going to enlist when I was 17. Mm. And I did through the delayed entry program. So I was like, cool, I'm not going to take the SATs. I'm not going to do this. I had senioritis essentially right then and there because, but that really screwed myself over, you yeah. know, just in the, in the meantime or in, in, for the, for that time being, because I just wasn't applying myself as much as I could have. And then I got to EOD school and it was like, I really want to do this. So that application, like I was able to really hone in, it was a lot, but just like anything else, like you're never going to be good at doing X if you just start out. So, right. I just was really trying to do as many problems as possible to get better at it, you know? And, and man, I freaking double tapped my ADOPS test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. Um, because yeah, it was just like, I was not very well versed on computers and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, early on in my life, uh, didn't really have a lot. And I think we had one computer in our house and it was like the family computer. And it's like, I didn't know what I was doing on that thing. I like check my email and what, what was, what email was I going to check? Yeah. And school was <laughs> largely not based online back then. Yeah. So that was kind of a big learning curve for me. And yeah, I just felt like no one double taps ADOPS and I'm just sitting there like, God damn, this sucks. But thankfully I was able to get back in, um, and, uh, and proceed on. But yeah, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I did get in a motorcycle accident in EOD school, in school? which sucked. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. It was during TMDs, Tools and Methods Division. Yeah. Right. And it was a Friday. We were going to go to a movie, right, at the Destin Commons, right? Mm -hmm. The old Stomach Grounds down, EOD school's down oh, Destin. Yeah. And I, w I rode my bike, right? And we're going over the Mid Bay Bridge. My buddies are behind me in their car. And this dude was going, like, get up to the gate. Go through the go through the toll. This dude was going so slow. He's probably going thirty miles an hour. Okay, and yeah, I was a young kid, nineteen years old at the time. Now, with this motorcycle, so I mean, obviously, recipe for disaster. And this really, this moment, 
kind of framed a lot of the other stuff that I like to talk about in my financial life. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I obviously wanted to go fast on my bike and the bridge is like, yeah, you can haul ass. This guy's going super slow. He actually acknowledged that he was going slow, pulled over to the shoulder, still driving and waved me on. Now there are signs on the mid Bay bridge saying, do not pass. Obviously, that didn't apply to me. Yeah. So I blow around this guy all the while hitting these lane reflectors, but they look like turtle uh, shells, yeah. right? You know, the giant mega ones, not yep. just like little reflectors. So I, my front tire glances these things. I get a ridiculous front tire wobble, and my uh, handlebars lock to one side, and I get shot off the front of this thing. Dude. Yeah. My bike, I believe, went about 200 yards without me. Jeez. I was at least 50 yards from where I, where I remember launching off because, I mean, it locked, essentially catapulted me out, and I just, like, kind of blacked out and then yeah. came to on the pavement. And, yeah, that um, that sucked. Dude. That sucked. And <laughs> my teammates, though, the, my classmates, they're the ones that were behind me. They're like, holy shit, they thought I was dead. Yeah. Like, they 100% thought I was dead the way, I mean, they watched the whole thing happen. And I came to, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Where's all my stuff? I had to wear a backpack. It was gone. Um, I'm running around like I pick my bike up and move it to the side of the road because I was just like, oh, man, I got to get my shit out of the way. Like, I'm going to block traffic. I'm going to be that guy that is now blocking traffic. So I, that's all I'm concerned about. The dude that I passed, him and his girlfriend, like they drove, they went around me to stop traffic, oncoming traffic. Like his, his girlfriend popped out. Obviously, people were stopping behind us, mm -hmm. but he was like, holy shit, I don't want anyone to run this guy over. Yeah. So, I mean, that was awesome uh, on their part. I wish I could remember their names. But they stopped traffic. He runs over to me. He's like, dude, you just need to, like, sit down or something. I'm like, no, nah, man, I got to find my backpack. I just got to move my bike over here. He's like, dude, you're not even, where's your shoe at? And I looked down at my feet. <laughs> I only have one shoe on. I was like, I don't know. Um and so, yeah, I just kind of sat over and my, my roommate who was in EOD school with me, um, obviously he didn't make it though. Uh, unfortunately he was a really great guy, great roommate. Um, because he essentially took care of me the rest of my time. Like yeah. when I was all jacked up, cause dude, I mean, I had road rash all over my arms, my shoulder, my back, my knees. Um, I didn't go to the hospital, but yeah, my, my roommate came over and man, I just, that bond of brotherhood i feel like was really cemented for me right there because yeah. he didn't come over and like dude what the fuck like he just came over and just like kind of wrapped his arms around me yeah i was like dude and i lost it man like yeah. i was like i feel like it was kind of hitting me at that point that i could have died yeah and like everything just would have been done like in a blink <laughs> and so that was awesome that he was there to do that and like i was able to experience that and and then, yeah, another another buddy of mine who was in my class essentially went to our LPO's house. I didn't, I waved medical because I had a test on Monday. Yeah, I had my tape and line test on Monday, <laughs> dude, the practical. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm just going to be fine. I'm going to do this. And so we went to my LPO's house and they're just like, feed me shots of tequila. He's like, okay, just drink this. I was like, okay. <laughs> this medicine. They're like, get in the bathtub, drink this. 
my other buddies like picking shells out of my elbow because oh, like the highway just randomly is strewn about with shells or whatever and yeah that's that was how we handled that yeah. and we cleared the walmart out of all their stereo strips and stuff like that so we patched myself we patched they patched me up and i go in on monday and i'm just like we're in utilities we're still wearing utilities so i was short sleeve and oh, dude, just rubbing. yeah i'm just like <laughs> arms are essentially ace bandaged out to my sides like this i can't really put them down because my shoulders were so badly road wrecked. i probably did break stuff but i just didn't go to the hospital to check it out yeah. which is really stupid <laughs> for the record and i'm like all right i'm ready to take my test and our instructors walking like what the fuck happened to you and it was another <laughs> so that was another stupid thing that i did didn't tell anyone except my LPO, so that's my only saving grace. Like he knew, I told him, yeah. But like we didn't tell really anyone at school, and so we kind of got hammered for that. But they're like, thankfully he's alive because you guys are stupid. Yeah. For a for you doing what you did, and then everyone trying to just cover this up. So we learned our lesson that way. But then I was like, yeah, I'm ready to take my test. They're like, no, you need to go to medical right now. Like, there's no way you're taking your tape and line test. It is, it's not the most physical test at school, but it is, you, there's a lot of, of arm movement and yeah. stuff like that. And you got to get down and I'm not going to talk about tactics on, on the, uh, on the net here, but, uh, I don't want any terrorist organizations learning our tape and method right. to, uh, techniques, but they're like, <laughs> one of the instructors walks in and he's like, I'll let you take this test if you can raise your hands above your head. I was like, sweet, done. <laughs> I was like trying to do it, and they just like Shoulder high wouldn't, yeah, if that. I'm like, I'll go to medical. They're like, yeah, yeah, see you later. So then I was on med hold for a month. That sucked. But yeah. Dude, that's, uh, that's intense. That's an intense way to start. Yeah, all self-imposed, totally avoidable for the record. Yeah. And yeah, it was... Yeah, that med hold that I feel like that was the hardest part of the entirety of EDU school for me, which is being in med hold. It was just ridiculous, right? And if anyone from the schoolhouse is listening to this, I really hope you are because I was put in X Div, right? I was put in X Division. That's where they put all the the misfits that are just waiting their class back up and all this or or get processed out. I'm like, I can't do anything, right? That's essentially where they get their manual labor for the schoolhouse. So I was like, I can't sweep, I can't mop, I can't do any of these things that they they would like me to do. So I'm because I'm just like all laid up, you know. And I was like, I'll just bring a book to read, you know. And I'm sitting in the the admin office and they're like, what are you doing? Like I'm reading a book. Like you can't do that. What, like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do that? And they're like, just sit there. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, that's totally fucked up. I'm like trying to keep my mind at least sharp. So I'm not literally rotting in yeah. X div. And they're like, nope, don't do that. So then I got assigned to uh, watch the foreign students. That was there kind of, mm. that was my, that was my duty, the foreign student watch. Nice. So I got to go to all their classes and hang out, which was kind of nice because I would still, you know, I'm a very social person. I would interact with them and kind of like, Hey, what are you guys learning about today? And stuff like that. And yeah. they would, I would interact with them. I would get to still be talking about EOD stuff. And, and that's how I kept my mind sharp during that. Thankfully I got that, that duty to just do that instead of sitting in that office and just stare at the admin (laughs) people and like, okay, cool. This is awesome. That's, that's such a military thing to do. Be like, no, you, are you enjoying reading? (laughs) You're now not allowed to. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> you look like you're learning something and <laughs> yeah. trying to better yourself. Stop it. Yeah. We cannot have that here. <laughs> we don't want any free thinkers here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I so I came in a little bit later, like at 23, turned 23 in boot camp, and I had done a lot of motorcycle stuff before I came in, and I knew me. And I wanted a motorcycle so bad, but I was like, I can't do it. I just, I know. Smart. I know that I will do not right things. Yeah. <laughs> and I will get caught. Yeah. Check <laughs> and uh, check. Oh, dude, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a that's intense a, way to start. I had a very interesting way to start. Yeah. 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 And it was funny that the new class checking in, cause I was like, Kind of in the middle, you know, taping lines. Like you're not just you're not just in core anymore. Yeah. And I don't even know what they're calling their divisions nowadays, but whatever. Um, anyone that knows knows. Um, but I would just stand outside in the barracks. This is when we had the the other barracks, and there was like open hallways, mm-hmm. and I would just be airing out. And the new classmen, they're like, "What the fuck <laughs> is this dude?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, man, just be careful out there." <laughs> just kind of like. <laughs> Plenty of these things like this happened at school. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And yeah, that was that was pretty funny. I but yeah, it. I was kind of known. I had a reputation at that point of like, because they got their in brief after that kind of meeting with me. Yeah. And like, ah, that's what actually happened. Because <laughs> that was now part of Indoc is <laughs> of my, my story. Was. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that was me. Uh, it was stupid. Don't you, do that. You made it. You made it. Yeah. <laughs> you made it to the in brief. Uh, I was like, TMDs is a son of a bitch. Dude. Yeah. Just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, you did. So actually, you went to um, Mobile at 12, right? That's basically where you spent. Oh. The Dirty Dozen, yeah. yes. Did you want to go to the East Coast? Did you have a choice? <laughs> I did, actually. There was a, a toss-up. I was doing well enough at that point. You know, I kind of screwed my head back on. And it was kind of like your shakeout of how you performed and like your your prts and and your grades at that point is how we picked um duty stations and obviously honor man like valedictorian dude got first pick but then yeah i wasn't i wasn't top i wasn't at the bottom i was kind of right in the middle which is kind of nice but um yeah some there were some east coast builds and some all the overseas builds got taken up like immediately but i really didn't want to go overseas for a duty station um early on and Momina 12 was there. And it was honestly, you know, for all the ladies out there, this is kind of a love story because I had, uh, actually, did I? I think me and my girlfriend were broken up at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was dating my, we weren't really high school sweethearts. We started dating in senior year gotcha. high, and senior year of high school. But she was doing her college thing. It was she's getting a little overwhelming for her. Like she's pre med and like trying to deal with me and my antics is, I mean, a, a lot. So I totally get where she was coming from, and just wanted to focus on school. I was like, great, you know. It's that to sound cliche. If you love it, let it go, right? <laughs> because I knew I was like straight. up, was like, okay, yeah, I am probably really stressing around. She's actually trying to become a doctor, mm-hmm. and was like, okay, you know, whatever. I love her. If she's, you know let her do her thing. And another thing that was just like, what was, that was my gut feeling. And, um, and she went to Cornell for pre-med. It's like, okay, I'll try to get back to the East coast so I can kind of be closer to her and I can go visit her every now and then. 
if you know what I mean. And uh, just kidding. And maybe. <laughs> and just in case her parents are listening to this, I yeah. don't know. Great. Anyway. He meant help her study. Exactly. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. That's why we started hanging out in high school anyway, so I could... She was the valedictorian of our high school class, so... It's like the opposite of you. Clearly, she needed my help <laughs> yeah. with her homework. Um, yeah. I got class flirt. She got most likely to succeed. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I picked... There was, there was some East Coast, and that was a huge driving force, honestly. Because you don't know anything about the mobile units when yeah. you're in. You can, like, maybe know a guy that was there that graduated before you hit him up and like hey how's the mobile unit but you don't really know i mean they don't even know they're new guys exactly so no one really knows anything about the mobile units when they're in school unless they mud pop that one for like ever and that's probably where they want to that's either 100 percent where they want to go or 100 percent where they don't want to (laughs) go exactly um so i didn't have that and i was like mobile unit 12 I like the number 12 it sounds cool no there was like it was i think there was two builds for two and one for 12 and one of my buddies uh, my original dive buddy was at 12 so like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go there right that was another part of my decisions like i know someone he's a good dude like we did pretty much everything together up until i got my motorcycle accident then uh we kind of got separated but then so yeah i I decided on 12 um for those reasons really i mean there's no real way to have a a well-informed decision about mobile units which we should probably fix. I don't know. Maybe that sounds like a good idea. I I think I think you're right. I think uh, until you like learn what the job actually is, even if somebody explained what's going on at the mobile units, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds cool. I don't know anything <laughs> that you just said. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hold on. Let me get the drool off. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. So at. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. So one thing I don't think I know everybody has some kind of weird story about this, but I don't think we've actually really brought it up. Airborne. Airborne. Yes. <laughs> Anything interesting happen when you went to Airborne? Have you been like researching about me? No, like, I have not. Like, straight up. You've been like spying on me or something? No, or straight up. But like, you know, I mean, I do... I do know you a little bit. We've talked here and there, and I know you're good for a story of pretty much yeah. every facet. So, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting experience at Airborne. Um, motorcycle? No motorcycles okay. at this point. I had a Silverado, <laughs> Silverado, Chevy Silverado, and uh, yeah, I had the truck that was ten thousand more than I made in a year. But that's another story. Um, another really smart decision that I made, but. No, airborne was cool because we're all like E fours now, and in the mill in in the navy, you know, you got your your uh, you know, third class petty officer, and your rank insignia is an eagle with one chevron, right? Anyone in the army, especially army privates, they think that that is a uh, um, uh, a colonel, yeah, right. So we're like walking around. I'm like, dude, that is a drastically different looking insignia for one. It's huge. A, a, a colonel insignia is huge. And then like our little our little crows, what we call them, right? Um, they're like walking around like we're just like getting saluted like super. I'm like, what? What is happening right now? Like, yeah. sure. You know, I'll salute you back. Like, carry on, private. <laughs> like, so we just have have fun at the army's expense with that. But um there was a dude from, I think he was a Det Norfolk guy, 
And he was he had never gone to Airborne, but he had just finally got orders to go to Airborne. Uh, so he was in our class, which was awesome. He's the first class master tech. Yeah. So we're like, oh, look at this dude. He's gone. <laughs> and he was in my uh, my whatever we call I don't even know what we call them. My company. Yeah. What do we call them at Airborne? Yeah, I don't know. Our platoon, company, whatever. So he and I got to be really good friends, and he was just like us, like, super immature and just want to play games like man if this is what everyone at the moment is like this is going to be freaking awesome yeah. little did i know it's like this is going to be exactly like that <laughs> um but yeah i mean dude we would do stupid stuff because i mean it's airborne so it's like you have so much free time mm-hmm. like instead of doing we we started doing the let's throw rocks in each other's helmets type game <laughs> yes. you know what i mean we started there but then we graduated to let's see how far away we can stand and still spit water in each other's mouths <laughs> <laughs> totally gross. I love it. But yeah, it's like, especially like you're drinking out of this canteen that's probably moldy as shit. And it's like, there's no way to clean it. But we're still like, you have to have this thing. So we're like drinking it and just like, oh my God, like just like kind of squirting water in each other's mouths. And the army people are just like, what <laughs> yeah. the actual F is going on right now? Like we thought the Navy was jacked up. We heard all these stories, but this is like next level. Yeah. Um. Oh man. Yeah, that was funny. That was, that was hilarious. Yeah. I do, I do remember how uh, just the faces of the army dudes that are like, I, I, something's <laughs> wrong with you. Like, there's something wrong with us, but there's something really wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. And it's funny how that never changed. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. No matter where we went and what stage of my career is like, that was always, some of them already knew kind of like, oh, there's Navy guys here. Yeah. Just, they would brief their guys like, just. Just go with it. Yep. <laughs> don't exactly. don't try to resist anything. Just yeah. do what they say and just everything. You'll have probably have a good time. If, if you yeah. resist, it will only get worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just uh. in, just know that there's nothing you can do to stop their antics and just join in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, get into the mobile unit. How was that experience? It was good. Um, I essentially got fired from my first platoon right out of the gate because the LCPO couldn't pronounce my name. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to like that. That sounds kind of like an EO type thing nowadays, <laughs> but he told me that later on. I was like, yeah, jerk. Nope. Ne- move the magnet. I'm like, dude, that's fucked up. And this is when we were on a platoon together, like down the road. Oh man. And, uh, but yeah, so I got bumped off that platoon. I mean, it was an NSW platoon. I was a new guy. So like, what is this dude even doing on this platoon anyway? Yeah. So it kind of made sense. Um, now before i was like damn man like what the uh woe is me yeah um grant i didn't know he couldn't pronounce my name and that was the real reason why i got moved off the platoon that's so funny i won't say his name so he doesn't get everything he won't get fired right in this day <laughs> exactly he'd be donezo so you're welcome you know who you are <laughs> um and, uh, so yeah i got put on 12-2 original 12-2 as a company mm. 12-2-1 and then I got shifted over twelve two two. So body bingo going on, and that was Cess to Afghanistan. And Cess doesn't even exist anymore. Combat expeditionary support. I don't know if you would call that a mob team nowadays. I guess. I don't know. Probably. Maybe. Um, but yeah, it was combat expeditionary support to Afghanistan. We we're going to Helmand, and we we're going to support the Marines down in Helmand with like RCP that type stuff yeah. and. Uh, we were in the training unit, and so that's kind of what we thought our mission was, and we were in the training unit, and then our company senior chief walks in the the room. We were underwater, 
at that point. And, you know, it's like already new guy struggles and trying to learn the lay of the land and, and figuring stuff out. And we had done our first trip out to Fort Pickett, you know, the, the inaugural trip oh, to yeah. Fort, the baptism of fire, if you will. I don't know if this even goes on, but there's like all kinds of like extra drills and like new guy stuff. And like, it was, it was really cool. It was, it was tough. It was a dick dragger for sure, but it was awesome. Like it really cemented our platoon. Like, I feel like we really came together and we we're really high performing at that point. And not just that, but like competent. And as a new yeah. guy, that was when I felt confident because we were just doing drill after drill after drill and finish the drill, rejock your gear, boom. It was like that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome, right? After that, I was like, okay, this is what being on a competent team feels like and in my limited perspective at the time. And so we go to 2-2 and, and we're in the training unit and our company senior chief comes in and is like, hey, um, an RFF just came down the pipe, request for forces, um, and it was for the 75th Ranger Regiment, and they were requesting Navy EOD support specifically um, to support their battalions in Afghanistan. And there's a different, way different scope of responsibility than our CES team that we currently were yeah. to now do this Ranger mission. And he is, was very straightforward. I don't know if he was like trying to do a scare tactic or whatever. It worked for some people, but he essentially turn the conversation to the new guys he said it was to everyone but he was talking to us he's like if you don't feel comfortable with your skill set no harm no foul just let me know and we'll remove you from the platoon right it's like okay he's like this is a big deal you're going to be you're going to have a lot more responsibility a lot more auto uh, autonomy and you're going to be responsible for a strike force essentially and it's like damn like that's kind of crazy and unprecedented at the time yeah. And I just remember thinking, I was like, is like that go with your gut thing, right? That was like the theme is like, this is what you should be doing, right? Yeah. This is, you've been trained. You have a great team. It's not, you're not leaving tomorrow. You're still going to, we're now shifting gears. We're going to retool our training to fit that mission. And this is like back, back in the day <laughs> when that was a thing. Right. It's like, okay, this is now the mission. We're going to, we're going to tailor the training now to go to this mission. Right. And all the well-rounded kind of BS things went out the window at that point. And now we're like solely focused on doing that, which I thought was great. Right. Yeah. And that was my experience of doing that. And we were doing like the well-rounded thing, which I thought was good at the time, but then I was like, okay, now you got to focus on this. And I really appreciated that. And looking back on, I really appreciate the leadership that fought. Cause that just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. They fought for that to happen. And, uh, that was, that was key. I feel like to our success as a team, we never lost anyone. Um, none of our team got hit, thank God. And, um, yeah, no, it, I think it was a testament too, cause we were definitely in some weird hokey situations and everyone did the right thing. And I mean, they, we were also on really good teams. I, f I feel like across the board, like talking to, talking to the guys like in country is like, yeah, how's your platoon? How's your platoon? You know, it's like, good. You know, we got a good group of guys. Like everyone's, everyone's pretty locked on. So that was really cool. But yeah, I, I always attribute our EOD team success to that refocusing of the skill set of, okay, cool. Yeah. We technically are on the docket for all this. However, this is now what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. So train to that, you know, be good at all the other stuff, but we need to be brilliant at all of these basic 
surface ied dismount and patrol like every single like the basics of how you do that everyone needs to be able to do that with their eyes closed yeah and that was huge that was huge and my my one of the guys in the platoon also fellow new guy we graduated EOD school together he called our company senior chief on the way home from the training unit and told me they didn't want to be on the platoon yeah and when i got home because we were, we were living together, we were roommates. He told me, I was like, dude, why would you like, yeah. why don't you like talk to someone? And, you know, he's like, I can't fault the guy for this because he just went with his gut. Yeah. And he's like, I did not. And I, I really, res- I, at first I was like, what the, like, I was like, dude, you're insane. Like yeah. people would kill to be in your position right now. Um, and he just looked at me, he's like, I don't feel right. And, and like, kind of like our company seems to be saying, it's like, I don't feel confident that I would do that well enough to not get anyone killed. I was like, okay, I can respect that. Yeah. You know, it's like, you got to be real with the person looking back in the mirror. And that, that really resonated with me. It's like, okay, all right. I, you know, good choice then. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah go into the to the training side i think it is i think it's important to start out with a little bit of everything because that is technically your job and at some point you're you're probably going to have to do something now you look at like my career did a little bit of never on mcm team but did the underwater stuff on the first couple and then like kind of 10 years if not any of that <laughs> and then now it's back so it's it's a good thing i had a little bit of that at the beginning but as soon as you know and as soon as you're like, okay, with, with that stuff, right. With, with a little bit of everything, if you've got a focus, you, you have to modify training to fit that focus. Cause you cannot be good at absolutely everything. Yeah. Anybody that thinks that is lying to themselves. And if they're saying it out loud, they're lying to others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And it's kind of dangerous, especially if like who's around and listening. Like if you have up and coming EOD guys and gals listening to that, it's like, no yeah that's not accurate okay. you know and yeah it was <laughs> i will definitely eat my words here because after all like you know two ranger pumps the nsw um and then the east africa thing it's like i went to i did my lpo ride on an mcm team yeah i'm like holy <laughs> shit here we go i know nothing about and that's another interesting story in and of itself i don't know how much time we have but um, yeah, as you want. it was a very steep learning curve. I will just say that going from complete soft, essentially my entire career to that LPR, especially it was me and our chief, uh, were the two master techs on the team. Everyone else was brand new out of school. Everyone. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a, it's not a problem, but it's definitely a thing you have to tackle. It's, it's a challenge for sure. Plus, I had no clue what I was doing MCM-wise. Yeah. You know, so I'm, like, talking to the chief. I'm, like, dude, I need you to, like, really take me under your wing and get me up to speed on all this MCM stuff because I have no clue what I'm doing. I can dive. I can survive underwater. Great, you know. Um, but actual, like, procedures and, like, the whole – it's a big it's a big thing, right, yeah. MCM. It's not just, like, oh, yeah, we're going out and fun diving. It is, it is a big – it, there's a lot to it, mm-hmm. and uh, I really didn't appreciate that until I was like, "Oh my God, there's a lot to this." Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to, who who's needs. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Um, so 
that yeah that that's a whole story in and of itself yeah but i yeah. think i think that's where i first met you when when you were because i came over i was doing my master board and i, I can't remember if it was i think it was was it was it uh Clifford, the big red dog, was that your your chief at the time? He was my company, company. Okay. chief at the time. He became, <laughs> he had to step down from that, and that's an, I mean that's a testament of leadership right there. I'm telling you right now because he was getting his company ride, and then our LCPO um, essentially quit the platoon during team training, and we didn't have a chief, and so I was like acting LCPO as the LPO and the LPO. And our officer was a JO, so I was essentially the OIC, the acting LCPO, and the LPO. Granted, I love our OIC, who it was. He did freaking phenomenal. Yeah. He did a great job stepping up and really kind of um, uh, stepping into that role. And is good, great dude. Um, but yeah, that was <laughs> Cliff the Big Red Dog. <laughs> Cliff the Big Red Chief, as he would like to call himself, which is like totally such a dad thing to say. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he stepped down from his company spot to fulfill this LCPO ride. So now he's not going to get that check in the box to now fill a need because of this mega deficiency. And this is like, that was kind of mind blowing for me as a senior tech, or I'm sorry, a master tech LPO E6, right? I just done all these teams and now I'm doing this. Like it's, Everything we hear growing up in EOD is like, there's no better position than being the LCPO of a platoon. Yeah. Nothing like it. And this dude, and I'll say Modesto Hernandez, I don't even care because this dude is a <laughs> shit show. Um, he is no longer in EOD. He retired. Um, um, but... That's the fucked up part, is he retired as an EOD tech, as a master EOD tech. He had the best job in our community from not just, that's not my, that's popular opinion. That is not just me, right? That's just what we hear growing up. Uh, when you become a, a LCPO of a team, there's nothing like that's the best job ever. I was like, great. This dude's an L- LCPO of a team. He literally just quit our platoon during team training at the training unit and he still is. He still has a crab on his chest. Why is that happening, right? What is going on? And I don't want to get into the politics and all that kind of stuff and like who was who, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was where I was like, man, that is kind of fucked up. And what had what had happened was he was just like during it was underwater, right? <laughs> and he was supposed to be the expert in underwater. He had done all underwater he you know that's what he did his bread and butter and everything is like dude i am going to rely on you heavily to help me out and he was just doing basic safety stuff like in in underwater that i don't expect the new guys to do more than once if that and i'm like dude like i just had a frank conversation with him and again this is where i was like do i have this conversation with him do i not like is it my place is it not should who is supposed to be having this? And it's like, dude, you have to have this conversation with him, right? Like talking to myself and, and I'm like, okay. I mean, it's definitely gonna be a hard conversation, but it has to be, it has to happen. And I'm like, hey, man to man, all rank aside, everything else aside, like just human to human, essentially. What you're doing is not okay. You're the LCPO of the platoon and we have all new guys and they deserve to be taught 
the right thing to do, right? Yeah. They deserve that. Um, that is their right. Um, they don't have many rights as new guys, but that is <laughs> one of them. Um, they deserve to be led and to be taught. And you're not doing that. And you're not doing that for me either. And it's like basic stuff where I was like, you really need to decide if you want to be here or not, like in this community. Yeah. Because the stuff you're doing is not indicative to wearing that badge. And so why don't you just go home and ask yourself if you want to be here. And if the answer is no, go turn your badge into the CMC. Right? Like no harm, no foul. That's just man to man. That's what you should do. And you got to do that. And if you and if you do want to be here, you need to step up to the plate and start training these guys and showing them the right thing to do. He, uh, oh my God, I will never forget this. I thought he was going to fight me because <laughs> we're like standing outside the training <laughs> unit and it was kind of chilly. So he's like, has this jacket on and our, oh, I see a standing right there also. And he just like reaches in his pocket. I was like, great, he's going to fucking pull out a knife. This is going to be a fucking shit show. And he like, comes back around i'm like all right here here we go let's fucking go and he takes out a cell phone and smashes it on the ground i'm like what what just happened i'm like great so everything still applies and now you got to go get a new phone on top of everything we just talked about and our oic i'll never forget the look on his face like is this burn in my mind he was just standing there like mouth agape like why would you do that? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, I just, just go, let him go. I get a text at three o'clock in the morning that night. And, uh, is essentially like, fuck you motherfucker. I was like, great, cool. You know, from him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was that when in the morning told my, OS, I was like, Hey, did you get any weird messages? He's like, no, but come here. And he told me that, our LCPO had essentially called our CMC and quit the platoon. I was like, perfect. So now we have a platoon full of new guys and this dude actually heeded my advice and quit the platoon. So awesome. <laughs> and uh, now we figured it out though. And it was yeah. great. And, and Cliff did step in and he stepped down to step up, I think in leadership because that was a huge deal. It was not about him at the end of the day. Cause he could have very easily been like, no, um, find someone else. I don't know if he could have easily done that, but he could have really leaned in on that yeah. position, but he didn't. He didn't fight it a lot at all, I would say, and he stepped in and and helped us out. Yeah. I, two two things. One, like, it's super important as a junior guy that knows something is wrong to bring it up. Like, I know how awkward that that is and how awkward it can feel because you're like, this isn't my space to do this. This should be done at a different level. But it's not like there's too many times where you can where you can think of. And I don't want to give the illusion that it happens like every day, but there are definitely times where I can think of where somebody thought they should do it, but then didn't and just time drags out and, and you can see the like spiral down of yeah. the individuals and the team. It gets worse and worse. It does. Yeah. It does. And sometimes, you know, the best case scenario, that conversation happens and the person's like, Oh crap. I didn't even realize how jacked up I was. Yeah. I, 
appreciate you coming to me. I mean, let's, let's be real. More than likely the initial conversation will be exactly like, screw you, man. And then maybe the next day, like, all right. You think I'm fucked up? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you how fucked up you are. <laughs> exactly. But, but then, you know, the, the realization, the self-reflect, like, okay, I, I understand. I understand where he's coming from. Okay. I haven't been getting back in the books like I should have, you know, I've, I've done other things for a long time. Um, I got to relearn this yeah. and I need to make sure that I, I owe that. Just like you said, that is 100%. And I totally agree with you. There are not a lot of rights as a new guy. You, you are, you should be earning your place and proving that EOD school is, is a really long selection phase. You, you learn, you learn how to learn <laughs> and then you learn how to learn how to drive motorcycles, yeah. how to survive <laughs> exactly. crashes, all kind of stuff. <laughs> and then you get to the mobile unit and that's where you learn how to be an EOD tech, like a Navy yeah. EOD tech specifically. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, but one thing they are owed is being taught correctly. Absolutely. And it's their life at the end of the, their lives at the end of the day. You know, it's like, these are the tools that you will need. Absolutely. How you use them. That is on you to, to, you got to bring that to the table. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that was, that was huge to me. And that's why I felt, yeah, I mean, it had to be. And, and what you said is, is so spot on where it's like, we delay these hard conversations and I've seen that it's happened to me on platoons. Um, and it's just like, that is what we have to do as like we always talk about it's like oh yeah the brotherhood it's like i love this guy like a brother then tell then have a hard conversation mm -hmm. with him right because if you do love him like he's your brother that is his life yep. in the balance and i expect him or her right to do the same thing for me like yeah. if i'm jacked up i need to know it because i mean we are doing a million things and we got our blinders up and it's like yo dude like you are acting a fool right now and that happened, you know, at EOD. That's another story I had at EOD because once I was in my surface class, right, I'm like the class clown, obviously, and we're in the galley, and I'm just like being loud as like anything, just telling jokes and and like just cutting up. And my army guys just, I got them dying laughing. But then like there was another Navy class in front of us, and one of my buddies who is like one of my best friends still, just like turns around and is like, dude shut up like you're <laughs> acting like an idiot you know and i was like damn that kind of sucked because he just like essentially yelled at me in front of all my friends <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um i do i didn't appreciate it really at the time i was like damn he's kind of a dick like i don't know what's going on with him you know but then i took a look back and it's like he seriously helped me out because yeah. that did, that was always like, since that was so traumatic, you know, <laughs> um, it was such a traumatic experience for me getting yelled at in front of my friends in the chow hall, um, uh, that I was like, okay, maybe he's right. And I just really need to rein it in a little bit and focus on remember why I'm here. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, uh, that was huge. Right. And he was probably, <laughs> he was like, dude, I wanted to punch you in the face so bad. Like, I just wanted to turn around and punch you because you're just so annoying. I was like, yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he's, um, I mean, no, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, one of the ways I looked at uh, being LC, LCPO of a team is I thought, 
and it, it, it is, I, I would agree. It's one of the best, the best job, but it's also the absolute most <laughs> stressful job. Cause like as LPO dude, LPO is, that is a solid job, right? Especially if you, it, if you either know what you're doing in that mission area or have somebody that's over you that knows what you're doing. Cause man, you, you get the tasks and then you're like, boys, let's get this done. You know, like get things ready, go out there. You have a good time. You're probably like supervisor for, for most things. So you don't have to do, you know, it's super cold in the water. You probably <laughs> don't have to get in the water. You can yeah. wear that nice puppy jacket on the boat. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you're, when you're LCPO on the team, now you have to like, you have to set up all the training. You, you have to like, it, it is your job to make sure that everything gets done so that the way I looked at it is when we deploy, if somebody gets hurt or killed, it's only because of two reasons. It's because either they screwed up or stuff happens. Like, and those, those are two, two things. Not everybody can be perfect every time. Right. And even if one of those two things happen, it's going to suck for everybody on the team. It's going to suck for the dude who trained them. But the way I looked at it is one of those two reasons, right? It's not because I, I didn't do something like if I, if the reason was I didn't train them enough or I just straight up didn't train them on something. Cause I didn't know it. Right. Like that's a hundred percent on me. And I wasn't, wasn't cool with that. But, um, if you go into that and I, I think, I think a lot of people kind of have that going up through the, like the dudes that we all respect, tend to whether they say it like that or a different way you know they they take on you you get on mcm team as lpo right and like i mean it kind of is on you if if the dude doesn't really know what's going on right and you're willing to like figure it out right like you're you're going the extra mile you probably spent a bunch of time talking to people who'd done it before to like hey this thing, you know, we're, we're kind of doing this and I kind of know what's wrong. <laughs> Can you kind of tell me what's right? And you take it on yourself. Cause it's, it, it's, none of us want, all of us want to be trained. Right. And none of us want to go out the door with, with a, a something, a box not checked. Like, yeah. that, Hey, we, you know, and not that like, just check the box, check the box, but like check the boxes. And I actually know it. We've completed it. Yeah. I know everybody else knows it. And we know um, we know why that is even on the list. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's that's huge. And especially in the leadership position, like you're saying, it's like we we want to do that. So no one it's like if we feel like we did not give our team the tools that they needed to survive, that is gonna haunt us for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, that's gonna be hard. And like you said, stuff happens and that's that's kind of a a great segue to, you know, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to jump ahead no, dude, if you have it. questions, get but it, it's like sometimes stuff happens, but I have now come to realize that there's something that is going on that is not being talked about a lot. And it was never being talked about when I was in. And I started talking about it at the end of my uh, active duty career but I had an instance where this very well could have been a stuff happens kind of thing where I was standing next to an ID for 40 minutes and didn't even know it. Jeez. Um, but I have a whole backstory of, you know, kind of that leads up to that moment. 
And the long story short is we were, I was, justifying like the workup cycle and everything. We're going to Afghanistan. So it's like we're going to war and all this other stuff. And we're going to party it up, right? We're going to live it up because we could fucking die, right? And I was like, thinking about it at the time, I was like, okay, this is, this is totally appropriate mentality. And yeah, we're going to live it up because I want to enjoy my life. YOLO, right? <laughs> That's carpe diem for people that are not that educated. Um, but anyway. I like that. It's uh, that's seriously, we took it to the freaking max, right? I mean, we were living like rock stars without rock star money, you know, <laughs> champagne taste with a beer budget, <laughs> yeah. but we were still buying the champagne. Um, and it got to a point where I was on that deployment and I was more worried about, and I didn't even know this. This is the scariest part of the whole thing is like, I didn't even know that I was this distracted because like we were just talking about like training, being laser focused, like we know all the things, we have the tools, we know how to employ them. We just did this really extensive workup cycle to get really good at our skill. And I'm on deployment, on mission, doing the job that we just spent countless hours and money training to do. And I'm sitting there talking, my teammate, my I was with a SEAL team and my EOD teammate for all of I mean, I guess a lot of EOD guys listen to this podcast, but for anyone that doesn't know, um, there are two EOD guys on every SEAL platoon that goes out, right? There's there's always that that uh, EOD continuity there. And he was working on what he thought was an ID. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to hang back, um, provide uh, support if he needs it because we were dismounted and all we had was what we could carry, right? So he's prosecuting this thing. Um, and me and another buddy of mine were holding security and I was just like in an advantageous position so I could give him stuff if he needed it or whatever the case may be, an extra pull line, whatever, um, a safe area, if you will, if he wanted to come back there and then we can connect mine and you know, all the stuff, I'm not going to get into tactics, but I was there for him, right? That was my job at that time to be supporting, uh, uh, a supporting teammate for him. Um, then detonation occurred. About 30 meters behind where me and my buddy were standing. Uh, it was right near our C2 element. Thankfully, this was set up very poorly. Uh, it was a small ID, and it was set up um, very poorly. It was The explosives were degraded. It was like a small mortar, whatever. And But it was like there was an embankment, and we were kind of near a little pathway that like was very agricultural. Kind of, It was weird. It was like in the woods, but there was farmland. Totally weird situation. I, don't, I was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was like an embankment that went down uh, to a river, um, like a little stream, actually. The river was kind of up where my buddy was working on ID. And so that goes off. I just like, kind of yell up. I was like, hey, I got it. Like, you just keep doing what you're doing. Um, we're all good because no one, no one got injured from this. Thank God, right? It was, again, set up like it was on this side of the bank. So they're standing up on the top of the, on the, top of the hill kind of slopes down and it's off here. So the explosive wave kind of went outward and everything was kind of, the ground was kind of wet. So okay. that, that helped out too. And it low ordered. Yeah. So it didn't detonate with full potential. Nice. And I'm over there as like a small mortar collecting samples, right? I'm gathering some of the pieces. It was a cell phone initiated ID. I was like, okay, that should have keyed me. And I'm right there. It's like, all right, RCID just went off. Why the fuck did that just happen? Yeah. Right. Um, and it, I know why it happened. I'm not going to talk about it no. because of other things. But anyway, 
that went off. Um, and I'm sitting there doing the site exploitation, the post, the, the post blast analysis. And then our interpreter comes up with an Afghan local police officer. It's like, Hey, this dude says that there's another IED and it's ready to go off. I was like, okay, where is it at? You know? And he points over here. I'm like, look over there. I'm like, no, no fucking way. There's an ID over there. Cause where he pointed was where I was just standing with my buddy in that security position for 40 minutes. Yeah. And he's like, no, he said that, okay, one, why he knew that was super sketchy. Yeah. How we knew it even sketchier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, whatever I, and this is like a very hard story for me to tell, especially when I first told it because it's essentially a huge fuck up on my part. Um, that I now talk about because I value the importance of the lesson over my own personal ego, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like this may save lives down the road. Um, I got super lucky. So just a little disclaimer. I discredited his intelligence pretty much, went over to the spot, didn't clear to it, didn't do shit, just walked, right? over. Just walked over. I was like, okay, I had my I had my mind detector. I'd like just to kind of like go through the most like, okay, yeah, whatever. This dude's full of shit. Everything looks disturbed and everything looks like trash, whatever. I'll go over there. I uncover it, like huge ring off. I was like, what the fuck? And uh this where where I got that hit was about six feet away from where me and my buddy were standing, which was thirty meters in front of where our C two element was, and I uncover and um that hit. And there was a paint can sized directional frag charge. It's about a thousand ball bearings lined the front of this thing, like pressed in. So it's like a concave shape. It's like the focused fragmentation charge. Yeah. About the size of a paint can. Set up, rated rock, cell phone, everything. I was like, fuck. In that moment, I thought about so many different things in the in the span of one second. And like just my body language, like I can't tell like can't tell everyone like hey this is what i'm doing but everyone's essentially watching me go over and do this and like they see my body language so they're like seeking cover at this point in time because Mm -hmm. there's no other option right this thing can go off at in a moment's notice yeah i'm like god damn it you know and this if this was a movie like i'm sure it would be like all hollywood i'd like be super glamorous but this was like one of the shittiest moments i think in my career because i didn't find it Right. I was yeah. told it was there and I uncover it and I'm like, I go hands on this ID, render it safe. And it's like the phone, I'm like staring at the phone. I'm like, it seems like an eternity. And it was probably like 30 seconds, but it had four missed calls on it. Oh shit. And 40 minutes, me and my buddy were standing over there and the conversation was not like, Hey, yeah, everything's all good. You know, it cleared this, cleared that. Like, you know, what, blah, 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 blah. I was asking my buddy if his tax-free pay had started, if his hazardous fire imminent danger pay had started, if all these extra pays had started because I was so worried about paying off my bills and shit like that, that I've accumulated that it was no longer even subconsciously bothering me and keeping in like kind of taking up bandwidth. I was verbalizing it out loud on a target or on an infill in a hazardous fire, in imminent danger. So now I am not even doing my job. I'm so worried about my personal finance nightmare yeah. that I've created that I 
didn't even do fives and 25s, like basic stuff, right? Not going to talk about, but it's just like other things I could have done, I just didn't do that I 100% should have done because I was not focused on what I had to do when I had really thought I was. Yeah. I like, that's that whole, like, you've reminded me of like, we might not even realize how jacked up we are for like, you know, however long until someone tells us, I didn't even realize what I was doing. Yeah. And I really thought I was locked out. And that is the scariest part of that whole situation. I was definitely my worst critic. My team was great. I mean, they're good. Even my EOD team was like, dude, I fucking walked past that thing. And I was like, yeah, but I was standing next to her for 40 fucking minutes, dude. Like, yeah. And I look back at the pictures and it's very obvious that there's something right there. Very obvious. Oh yeah. There's markers and everything. And I just wasn't doing it. And my, other my you know the the team guys i was with they were a great team good group of dudes and they were just like very bolstering and uh but yeah i couldn't really let that go for a long time because obviously for an eod tech for everyone the best case scenario is no one dies right Right. no one dies for an eod tech the best or whatever we're calling ourselves nowadays eod operators fuck yeah (laughs) um the best case scenario is I tell you something's clear. I get a weird feeling about that. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. Let me just go verify. And I pay the price right. for it not being clear. Uh, worst case scenario is I tell you it's clear. You go ahead and you pay the ultimate price for me telling you that that was clear. Um, so that never set well with me. Uh, so yeah, set, set well with me. And for a long time, that just kind of, I, I could not sleep at night after that. It was like, man, I need to really focus, which is kind of a vicious circle because now I'm worried about the situation. I know I need to get sleep so I can be actually focused and, and, and pay attention. But now I'm so worried about that happening again that I can't sleep. Yeah. And now it's detracting even further and it's just like degrading everything. And the root of that whole thing was I was so distracted in my personal life and I thought I was really good at compartmentalization. But I'm just here to tell everyone that that wall that we like to put up is permeable. Yeah, It's only a matter of time. We can be so good at compartmentalizing work and home up to a point where home, if we're not managing that properly, will creep into work. Mm -hmm. Work, if we're not managing that properly, will creep into our personal life. Um, And it will happen at the most inopportune time of your life and... What I, what I equate that my whole story of like, you don't have to be face to face with an IED and be, have it in between your legs. And like your life is literally hanging in the balance of who knows, like, I mean, there was someone looking at us, staring at us, trying to call this phone yeah. and it just wasn't going off. However, you don't have to be in that exact situation for the, I guarantee people are in that same situation every day of their lives where that ID is someone you truly care about, right? You, you, your life will be drastically different without this relationship, right? When you are not paying attention to that because of everything else going on in your life that you're mismanaging, that is at risk of detonating in your face when you least expect it. Yeah. And you know, as well as I do, when some detonates, it's gone, right? There's nothing left high order. It's gone complete consumption of material um that's gone and that is happening more often than anyone is admitting right 
and we don't want to talk about it because it sucks. It's not funny. Right. It's painful. It sucks. It's not a good story. Um, but that's a hard conversation that we need to be having. And I just want to know, and this still kind of keeps me up at night, how many guys and gals were in my position, and this is like across the service, right? In Iraq, Afghanistan, in that length of 20 plus years that we were overseas in these spaces, how many people were in the same situation that I was in and did not get lucky? Right. Yeah. There's no way to tell. Right? That metric isn't that metric isn't calculated. It's not tracked. It's impossible to track cuz no one would know my story if I died. Right. Like no one would know why I was distracted. No one would know why I was doing. It would have sucked for my entire team because now my chief would have been like, "Is it something I did?" They would have owned the shit out of that, mm-hmm. you know? Is this something I did? Did something just happen? Like, was this a freak accident? Like, what happened? They would have saw the pictures. They would have saw the marks. I'm like, what the fuck was he thinking? Yeah. You know? And then my family would have been delivered flags. My teammate, I mean, who knows the the effect that would have on my my immediate team for the rest of their lives, you know? Yeah. Um, the survivors of that, because my other teammate would have been dead also. His family would have got flags. Um, our C2 element would have been catastrophically wounded at a minimum if that had gone off because of the proximity and how it was oriented. So there was a lot hanging the balance of this distraction and it's so huge. And that is, that's kind of what I've, that started my whole, I wish I could say that was the, the catalyst, the catalyst of what I do now, but it's not because there was no debrief of that situation from what, the root of what actually happened. Yeah. It was all like what we thought happened until I was able to do a self-reflection and a, a new guy on that same platoon I was talking about earlier, the MCM team, sat down with him and he helped me out with a budget. He like would not shut up about budgeting. I was like, dude, shut the, f- <laughs> dude, no one cares about this budget, right? I had the same opinion about budgets that pretty much everyone has. You hear the word budget, you're like, I'm going to punch something because that's so- <laughs> not an accountant. Get yeah. out of here, nerd. Uh, uh. <laughs> I just want to spend my money and live my life. (laughs) But that was the first time that I looked at my personal finances in real life. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was out. It was written down. I was looking at it. I wasn't thinking about like, well, I know I make this much money. I know I spend this much money roughly. um, And I can move the things and make it work. Right. That's what I was doing. And it was working for the most part. But it really wasn't because I was so damn distracted that it almost cost me my life and worse it almost cost me my teammates life um lives and that's when i lost it dude i saw my budget or my not even it wasn't even a budget it was just like this is how much money i make this is all my expenses and this is all the shit that i use my money i was like holy shit this is what is wrong like that was the catalyst yeah i lost it dude my my buddy's like what what's happening the actual f is happening right now dude and he's a new guy i'm his lpo <laughs> and so it's kind of weird but i mean we were great buddies yeah. and he's just like i'm like dude i think you may have just saved my life yeah in ways that i don't even know how to explain right now and that's what the catalyst was so i started to look at that i was like how can i eliminate all of these inessentials out of my life like why am i doing this i'm like 
I just got back to my roots of an EOD tech of like, I don't do anything in my job without a list, right? Nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't learn anything new without a list. I don't, school was all lists. Everything we look at are lists, like how to prosecute an ID. Let's see. That's a nine line. There's actually a list with nine things on it, (laughs) you know? Um, uh, even a, a missed report, like when we have a casualty, like you sure that's not a long list, but it's still like you are going to send up this first, mm-hmm. then this, then this, then this, just to get someone out. Um, when I'm when there's a mind strike, I need to do these things. Like what is going to kill me first? What's going to kill him first? Um, how do I prosecute that and manage all the other shit? What do I need to focus on first? Right? What is going to kill me right now? What is when I walk through this doorway? What is the first thing that's going to kill me? In that moment, right? In those first few steps. I'm not even worried about what I'm going to do in the back room yet. What am I going to do right here that is going to kill me, right? That's how we think at work. When I am diving, there's many lists, right? Yeah. MCM is like <laughs> mass cargo movers slash <laughs> list making extraordinaires, right? Exactly. I had one of our new guys, thankfully, was an engineer. He graduated from Penn State. And it was like he actually invented some machinery and stuff like that. Okay. I'm like, you will make all of our lists, <laughs> Awesome, right? Um, because that's what it takes to sur- it to does. survive to win. Yep. And like, a budget is a list. It's an ECL for pros- for for managing your personal finances. So I started to look at it that way, and I was like, okay, now it's starting to make sense. This is actually how you manage money. And then I just like really tried to de- to consume a lot of things about like not really how to invest money or like how to gain wealth but really how to manage your money that you have. And that was huge. I looked at that. I'm like, no one is talking about this. No one is really doing this. It's all like anything you hear with money, it's like, oh, insurance and personal, um, I'm sorry, um, financial advising and and this and this. I was like, I'm not even at those spots right now. I need to know how to freaking have more money than month at the, at, on on the 30th or the 31st. Mm Or the 28th, if we're talking about February. Um, <laughs> but that's what that's what I needed. And to admit that felt weird because I'm like, we want to feel like we're good at this stuff, yeah. right? As men and just as people in general, it's like we want to, especially if we're providing for our family and like we want to feel like we are good at what we're doing. Yeah. And it's hard to have that conversation of like, I am not good <laughs> with this huge aspect of my life yeah. that a lot of people depend on. Granted, that was my exact situation in that IED event where I was had the perception of being this really good professional and I had a, a good reputation. I thought that was like my third deployment to Afghanistan at that point. And so I had a good reputation of handling myself as an EOD professional. Yet here I was lacking basic fundamental EOD skills. Not lacking, I guess I should say. I just was not doing it. Yeah. I would say it was EOD negligence. And I can say that for sure. Um, because that's what I should have been doing and I just wasn't doing it. Yeah. Negligence. And that's what I was doing in my personal finances as well. It's like, okay, let's figure this out. And then, yeah. And I was like, okay, this actually works. This is, this is how it needs to be done. Right. And this, I started to like apply to like different industries and like kind of other people that I knew that were not in the military that made way more money than I did. I was like, okay, Let's just look at this if you trust me. I wasn't charging anyone at this point um, because I was just trying to get good. And I was trying to like collect data. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, does this actually work just for me? 
Or is this like something that can be applied to a lot of other people? Yeah. And the answer was yes. It's like, man, if we just focus our energy on very specific steps, this is how you win with money. When we, when we're like, oh yeah, you know, I'll invest this much in my TSP or 401k to get the match and try to do all of the other, like a million things that we want to do in our lives. It's like, I'm doing every single one of these things is getting a tiny bit of me Mm. right now. Let's just pause retirement for a second. Put that over there. Let's pause all these other things. Let's actually just get our foundation set. So it's rock solid, right? So we actually have a basis to operate. So now we do that, then we can actually invest legit money into our retirement savings, not just to get the match, but we are maxing out accounts that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So now you talk about wealth. It's like you cannot be wealthy without having a good foundation. You can build a great house and it'll look fantastic. And if it's on the sand, it's you're stupid, right? You're stupid. Right. Anyone engineer or otherwise, that's biblical. I even it is. like you need to build your house upon the rock. Right. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And obviously, because when the storm comes, the sand will wash away. Mm-hmm. So everything that we can build up, which is exactly what I was doing, I built it up and on the sand, like the storm came and it all washed out. Right. So then I was like, I will never be in that situation again. I will never put my teammates at risk or my family at risk that that drastically because I'm worried about money yeah. ever. So that's what I did. And I was like, great. I became a personal finance coach and that's kind of what spawned me or what, what kind of propelled me into what I do now uh, as a personal finance coach. And then, you know, I can talk about how that I made the leap to, to leadership, but it was, it was huge because that was like affecting that personal finance affects every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. Every aspect, no matter who we are, no matter how much money we make. I mean, I talk to a lot of broke physicians that are making well into the six figures. And it's just like, I talk to single moms that have, you know, that have $300,000 of student debt uh, for their kids that they sign parent plus loans for. And they're making fifty to $60,000. It's like, that looks, that situation looks insurmountable. Yeah. But these two categories, let's say a physician that makes well into six figures and this single mom over here, they're behaving the same exact way with money. This one has more zeros on the end of it. Mm-hmm. But the, the decisions and the choices are exactly the same. So that's when I got this. Like, it's not about the money. Right. This is like behavioral stuff that we can train and teach people. It doesn't matter how much money you make. Yes, if this person really focuses that has a really good income they can get out of their situation. They can improve their situation a lot faster mm-hmm. than this person, right? For sure. But there are ways that we can help her also. Yeah. Um, and I have. And it works. It's been proven now. And that's that's kind of my, my life goal now that I've transitioned out of the military is I've transitioned that purpose of I don't want people to serve for a paycheck, right? I want them to serve for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I was serving for a paycheck. Everything I raised my right hand for... And that I love my brothers about like all that rhetoric that I used to talk about. It's like I crumpled that up and I threw it in the trash because I was serving for a paycheck at that point. And then once I was able to refocus, it was like, now this is like, it became crystal clear. This is what I need to be doing. And this is, this is super important to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, it is, 
important to figure out what situation you're in first and then you can start figuring out the moves to make. But a lot of times we do it the other way. We start thinking, Oh, if I, with, with everything, with finance, with, with the job too, like you got to figure out what you're good at in EOD to figure out what you need to work on. Whereas a lot of times we're like, well, I'm going to work on this because usually it's probably because I like it, right? Like <laughs> it's sexier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like one of the things I've done, I'm not, I'm not great with money. I'm definitely not a personal finance coach or anything. Well, but we're having the right time. You're talking <laughs> to the right guy. Well, one of the things I've done, um, I'll tell you two stories. Michelle, stop listening now if, if you are. Um, <laughs> she doesn't, so I don't have to worry about that. But um, I, like, I have this ridiculous spreadsheet, and it has literally absolutely every everything. It has every money coming into every single account that that I have because I I separate things by um, by like I have accounts that just do car payments. I have accounts that just do like the house stuff so that I know this money comes in. This is the amount of money that goes out so that I'm not homeless and more <laughs> for my family. Right. Cause I can yeah. live in a car. Um, but I, I know my wife's and my car is paid. I know everything with the house is always going to be paid. And then there's other accounts that do other weird stuff. Not saying that's the right thing to do. Just saying that's after, after a while, I, everything that comes in to, to the dollar, I have everything that goes out. I check multiple times a month and see if it's up or down or left or right, you know, and like I can go. And part of the reason why I did that was for my wife so that when I leave, if I don't come back, she's like, where is the money? (laughs) Like it's somewhere. Go here. She still never doesn't pay attention to like where exactly it is on the computer, but you know, she'll find it eventually. (laughs) Yeah. The files are in there somewhere. I know that. But what's funny is when I got married, right? So I was leaving Guam. We were getting married and I was like, Hey, I'm used to spending a lot more money. I know this about me. (laughs) You don't have a job right now. She's was going to start school as soon as we got to to here. But let's just, let's just say she works inside the home. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm trying to get you to not die. Yes, when yes, you, yes. When you... Like I said, she doesn't listen to this. So I have a little bit of leeway left, right? <laughs> so if anybody's listening to this that talks to her, do not tell her I said that. Um, but no, she like, works inside the home. We, we had agreed like, Hey, when you go to work or when you go to school, like everything is on me. Like, don't worry about anything. But part of that was, it's like, all right, let's, I want, I want your budget. And it was hilarious when she gave me her budget because, again, don't, please don't tell her. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, I, I think it, it kind of proves a point, right? There's, you can lie to yourself pretty easily, right? I got her budget and it was like $100 a month for food and $100 a month for gas. And I was like, do you actually spend $100 a month on food? And she's like, well, I, you know, if I tried, I could. And I was like, I don't want what you think. <laughs> I, I, I want to straight up know what right now is the case because – that's the truth, right? Like, what is it right now? And then we can figure out, do you, you let's say you spend $800 a month on food. You know, I, I don't know how, but it, it's possible. Go out every night. Food is the biggest budget buster there is. It's crazy, actually. But, you know, if I do the math and you can still do that, okay, let's let's carry on. I couldn't, but, you know, <laughs> if. Um, but knowing where you're at, 
yeah, that, that's one thing that's enabled me for the most part. There's been times where I'm like, like the coming in and the going out is really stinking close. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had to like, okay, let's figure out what, what am I doing that I pretend is a necessity and what is actually a necessity and let's like exactly. make some changes. But if I didn't have that spread, and I know me too, like if I didn't have that down to the dollar, man, I'm going to spend so much more money. How many guys do you know do that? Not, Not a lot. <laughs> no. Right? And that's where I think we need to have that more commonplace. And maybe, you know, there's an organization, <coughs> NSOF, I don't know, um, that could help me out here mm. with getting this information to EOD techs at the mobile units, like when guys are checking in and dudes that are senior, right? Yeah. Because that's where I made that leadership jump is like, I was doing budgets, like this basic stuff that we're talking about with leadership. And it was like, great, I have this, I'm in a oh, fantastic position where I know the reputations. Yeah. So it's like, I know the great leaders and I know the shitty ones and not, that's not, those are not my words. That is their reputation, right? <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but I sat down with some good ones that are there for the men, mission, the, uh, the command, the community. They will make a decision based on those things, not self-promoting, self-agenda, whatever, whatever the case may be. Then you have the guys on the other side of the coin and gals that are, um, chasing rank, chasing awards, trying to make themselves look good, generally regarded as assholes, right? So I sat down with both because they sought my services out and I'm like, holy shit, there are definite, I started noticing a pattern of guys and gals that were there for the men mission, the good leaders, yeah. reputations. They were consistently investing in retirement. They had an emergency fund, a legit one. They lived within their means, if not well within their means, so very little to no debt, if if any. Um, and they just they were not they were not over leveraged, right? And and they they typically you can walk into any mobile unit and see where all the new guys park, typically, because those are gonna be the nicest cars, mm -hmm. right? Um, where you know our CEO was like driving a like an S10. I'm like they don't even make those anymore. Yeah. How did? He's like, yeah, I just like, you know, it still runs and I was like, good for you. You know, I yeah. love it. Right. And at the time I was driving an 07 Kia Spectra grant, I had my Silverado still, and that's a whole story in of itself, but like, that's what it, that's what it took. And that's what kind of a, a, a hidden, a hack, if you will, that I discovered is like, if you want to be wealthy, look poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you want to be poor, look wealthy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know there's like the whole thing about like, you have to dress for the occasion, all that kind of stuff. But largely you, those are occasions, right? Yeah. Not your whole life. Right. So all the time where you're not at an, an event or an occasion that you need to dress to impress and like be a professional, look like you're poor, mm -hmm. wear sweatpants, yeah. drive this, uh, drive a 07 Kia Spectra with 120,000 miles on it. Right. Um, but yeah, then I was like looking at the, the other side of the spectrum where, they were chasing rank, chasing awards. And I'm like sitting down with them like, wow, um, let's, let's talk about some numbers. And they were investing little to nothing in their retirement because they wanted to maximize money to pay other things like their like three car notes or, or four or like two rental properties that were vacant, stuff like that, right? Stuff that we think is sexy. It's like, okay, well, I can pay this much and I can get this car payment and you know, I can that we're like, we're like moving this sh like the shell. Yeah. It's like, okay, I can, I can pay that much. I can afford that payment. Great. Um, if I get this rental property, that'll be cool. I'll, oh man, a lot of guys are like, 
I can I can increase my portfolio by getting this rental property. Okay, I'll be good at that. Um, dude, you're going to be gone six months out of the year for one. So just that's an added stress, just mental stress, yeah. right? Not even talking about the finances of that. Um, so you have that. If it goes vacant, now you're – this, this particular instance I'm talking about had three rental properties that were vac- uh, vacant. So now wife, dual military, she was getting ready to retire. Little to no – um, retirement savings. So they're really banking on the pension Mm -hmm. and something that I tell everyone in the military, right? This is my blanket military thing. Statement is when you retire from the military, your pension should be the cherry on top of your retirement plan, right? It's the cherry on top. That should not be what, especially EOD soft guys, because your retirement is essentially a quarter of your pay. It's not 50%. It's a quarter because nothing, no special pays are taken into account. Right. Um, and this is like, this is just, we're not talking about disability or anything like that or any of the nuts and bolts, like your basic retirement. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and so we need to have a plan in place where that pension is like, boom, the cherry on top every month it's coming in. It's like, yes, it is just like, you're not like, shit, my pension is here and now it's already gone. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to avoid. And so like this guy, right. Was not an asshole. He was hurting financially. And there's a huge misconception that if I make more money, I'll be better. Right. And that could not be more false because money does not change who you are. Mm -hmm. It magnifies it really, honestly. Um, Like if I am a selfish individual who is only cares about my well-being and like how I can be better and stuff like that, if I come into a large amount of money, I'm only that that's going to be my concern with that money, Mm -hmm. right? Um, that's why a lot of lottery winners are broke. Yeah. Right. Um, for that very reason, they lose it within, I mean, a couple of years of making millions of dollars and now it's gone. And then you have, um, if you are a good person, you have, you know, goals, you have a, you live by a certain code of ethics, like your own, your own, you have your own core values when you come into a lot of money, you will magnify that. You will give like ridiculously. You will pour into other things to try to change something, whatever the case may be, right? Um, you will not, more money does not change who you are. It magnifies it. So I just like to recommend to everyone that they should live a life worth magnifying, Yeah, you know? Um, because if you do work with me and when, you will get a lot of more. You will get a lot of more money. You're not going to be any smarter, but you're not going to be good with grammar. You're not going to be able to speak English, but you'll be able to manage the shit out of your finances. Yeah. Um, and and that's what it that's what it takes. And and to build true wealth, meaningful wealth, it's this found these foundational principles that are largely overlooked that are the most important. Like yeah. Really, anything else in life. Um, so yeah, it's um. We, we, we have to get this, these, these things into, I want to get this education into the hands and minds of our, our community earlier on. Like, yeah, we can hit guys that are, uh, that are at the tail end right now. Um, but like basic stuff, like you're talking about, like tracking your income, how much exactly is coming in and where is it going? Basic. That's a budget, right? That's a zero based budget. When you track all of your expenses, 
I'm sorry, when you track your income and subtract all of your expenses, and expenses are everything. Mm-hmm. Anything you spend money on, whether that is retirement contribution, savings contribution, whatever the case may be, is your money going somewhere. Yeah. So that's an expense. Um, at the end of that, like in a zero-based budget, your income minus your expenses should equal zero. Yeah. Every single month. So you start fresh every single month. And budgets are a living, breathing document. Like give yourself fun money, you know, like budget that in. Now you can actually spend like whatever, you know, me and my wife have a $100 limit for, and that's not fun money, but that is just like, if I'm going to spend more than $100, I need to consult with her. Obviously, not for everything. We're not the government. We're not going to send here and like, we don't, need a, page yeah, we don't need a, <laughs> a PowerPoint and like approvals and three quotes, whatever. But within reason, like if, if it's obviously like in like a time sensitive scenario or something like that, that doesn't mean you can justify every expense you expenditure right. as a time sensitive thing. Be real because then your wife or husband, I guess, whatever, you know, is going to be like, no, I don't trust you with money. Right. So you have to earn that trust. Yeah. And that's huge. Um, so we have a hundred dollar limits. Like if I have to spend more than a hundred bucks, I'm just going to consult, uh, my wife and vice versa. Um, and that just, it's a check and balance. Like one that helps me because I am a nerd free spirit. I like tracking the money, yeah. but I also really like to spend money. Yeah. Right. I love spending money. I like getting new things, nice things, you know, work hard for my money. I like to have nice things. Right. Yeah. Um, so I can get really, I can justify anything. I'm the right? same way. <laughs> we, that's very easy for, for, for guys like us. Yeah. Right. And gals like us. However, if it's like, okay, that's 105 bucks, I'm just going to wait. Let me talk to Chris about it. And now we're going to have that. Now that takes the time of me thinking about it. So mm-hmm. now it's no longer an impulse purchase and I'm having a conversation. And sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to have this conversation because I know she's going to be like, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, without her saying that. So it's a win for me really, because now I don't have this conversation and now my wife doesn't think I'm dumb for like (laughs) that being a good idea or me thinking that that was a good idea. So there's a win. Right. And also now I actually realize like, nah, I don't want that one because it's, it's not in front of me right now. It's not, it, it takes the impulsivity out of our, if that's a word out of our decision making process. Yeah. And it's a small, that's a small behavior modification that will pay freaking dividends. I'm telling you how much like that, that has saved me so many times, um, the not, you know, and I hate to admit it's like, yeah, sometimes you just got to trust your wife's intuition. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that goes with a lot of things, not just finance, but if you can, if you can pause on the decision, whether it's uh, a big life change or, or whatever, you know, um, I mean, another, another excellent decision that I, I ended up making it. Um, but it took me years to figure out from the time that I knew I wanted to ask my wife to marry me to actually ask her, you know, I just, I, I was really verifying. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a big one. That's a great example. <laughs> um, but no, it, 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 uh, for me, oh gosh, the, the worst thing. And honestly, it's probably arguably easier to get in a spot in a bad spot quickly with, with finances, like Amazon, dude, I don't know how many people I, I am a massive offender. And what I've found for me that works well actually is Amazon lists. I, I the will list, dude, I'll, I'll categorize my lists and I'll, I'll put my stuff in there. And if it stays in that list for a while, 
eventually I can get it out of that list. Like not not meaning put it in the cart and buy it, but I can realize like oh, dude, I, put I the whole list in the cart. Yeah, <laughs> but no, that's that makes sense, man. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard like the relating that decision to an action that that potentially could have had really bad consequences, like in the job. But you, when you say that, I can. I can only imagine, just like you, you said, I can only imagine how many times that that case was played out, whether it's, you know, EOD techs or just it, literally any military, uh, any first responder, like yeah. anyone yeah. out there where, where you're responsible for, you know, lives. And obviously that's a, that's like a worst case scenario, right? You have a job that it's, you're there to either save or, determine on taking lives right and when you've got i mean what it's isn't it isn't finances like the biggest reason for divorce like the number two number two second only to infidelity but there is financial infidelity so that's a whole nother category yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like it, it makes it makes perfect sense um you know why why you would want to well two things one why you would want to like get that under control so that that is not if it's not even in your decision-making, meaning you're not worried about it because you've got that solid and now you don't have to think about it with in any other part of your life because that's already taken care of one less stressor, which, you know, (laughs) think about like anything we do, like jumping out of planes, parachutes, driving, diving, you know, computers. If you have parasitic drag or you have a program running in the background, that's just, taking up an enormous amount of bandwidth or your freaking left foot braking when you're trying to drive, like, you know, it's just, you are not going to perform well. Right. And when we can take this money thing that is largely consuming a lot of brain calories and just a lot of time, when we just remove that, it is, that is freedom. Yeah. That is freedom. And that's what I felt. And that's why I want to name my company, Golden Compass Financial Freedom, because it is about that freedom. When you don't have to worry about something, like, for example, our car radiator randomly, right? It's it's like three years, four years old, maybe five years. I don't even know. I lost track of time. But it's, it's at the point where it shouldn't have radiator issues, yeah. right? Those don't fail. <laughs> um, so we're driving. And, well, why I say we, I am driving our family vehicle, which is a minivan. Heck Yeah. <laughs> I talked my wife into it for the record. Nice, nice. Um, she was dragging her feet, but it is an awesome vehicle. Anyway, it's like it was built for families. Um, I'm driving. I'm like, why is your temperature gauge like coming on, like your warning light coming on? She's like, oh, yeah, it's been doing that for a couple of days. And I was like, why have you not told me about this? So we're like on the highway. I'm like, turn the AC on or I'm so like, like max, like turn the air on uh, to like cool it down like go off gas and like really trying to get it down because it's like almost it was like topping out yeah so we get it to creep down and she's like what are you doing i'm like the car is about to overheat okay that's a problem you cannot drive this when it's overheating yeah. right you have this thing called an engine and it'll blow up right it's not great right i know that's for all you mechanical nerds out there i know that's not exactly what would happen but whatever comment on the episode if you want um the so we get it down and we bring it in and it needs a new radiator. Like there's, it was just like a manufacturing defect that mm. 
like kind of, but it was like, we don't have a warranty on the vehicle. Yeah. Um, so it needed to be replaced. Like that's an, I forget the actual expense. I think it was, it was, man, I don't know. Parts and labor. It was, it was a lot, right? It was a big unplanned expense. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking back to my childhood. I was raised by a single mom, like no hit on her. She did the best she could with what she had, but like that would have been freaking catastrophic. Yeah. Right. She would not have had the money for that. Like the car would have been um, stored at the mechanics shop, and we would have been hit with storage fees. She and it would have taken for like that would have been cataclysmic in nature yeah. when I was growing up. Now that thankfully I have like everything set in place now, and I've you know I've been living like this for a long time now, and we just don't worry about money from that standpoint of like how I was, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're independently wealthy by any means yet, but that was, it was a moment that I had. I was like, this is cool because we're just going to get this fixed. Ask them if they have a cash discount and probably pay less overall yeah. than my mom would have had to pay when she was stressed to the max. Mm-hmm. And like now she's paying storage fees on top of this. So now it's like, it was it was an interesting phenomenon that happened for me, and I was like kind of glad that it happened. It's like this is this is freedom. Now yeah. we're gonna be down the car for a day. It'll be in the shop. We'll get it back. Mm-hmm. Cash, discount, boom, done. Yeah, and it's over. So it's an incon when when being having a plan is having a plan and the means to to take care of things like that, like an emergency fund, is. And really, your emergency fund is is, and we can get into the nuts and bolts of it. But like you know, you we we just cash flow that expense essentially. We just because ha- we have our budget, so we just tailored our spending down in certain areas to tailor maintenance up, mm-hmm. right? Because that month it was going to need to be like that. So because we adjusted the dial in our cash flow, so our our money coming in versus going out, um, we just adjusted that to accommodate for this. So we didn't even touch our emergency fund. Yeah. Right. We didn't even touch our emergency fund. Um, and it was just handled. I'm like, holy shit. I need to call my mom. Yeah. Right. And just apologize for being a shithead <laughs> when stuff like that was going on. And I'm just like, I want to do this. Blah, I can't get in my, my, my football practice. Ah. I was like, I'm sorry, mom, because that was probably super stressful for you. Yeah. And she cries all the time, whatever. So now it's just like, <laughs> I can make a game out of it. Like how many times I can make her cry. But, uh, um, yeah, it was, I mean, she really appreciated me acknowledging that for her. And, yeah. and uh, it was good that I was able to do that because before I would have never been able to do that. I mean, that would have been catastrophic for me too. That would have sucked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a whole nother ballgame when it's just, you're not worrying about money and like the stressors behind that. It consumes so much, a lot more than a lot of us want to admit or talk about yeah and it just it frees you up to do so many more things i mean both just mentally relationally i mean so many different things yeah do do you mind if we take five no sorry yeah sorry and we're back indeed (laughs) a little bit lighter now Mm. um no man i uh you know in the uh in the interim um mentioned you know that you can you can talk about this stuff all day and i can i can tell the passion for it and like it's uh 
it's cool because it, it's actually cool hearing hearing the story. Like, take out the the uh, uh, the the, the f- finance portion, right? Of of that story. That it's a pretty crazy story. One, but then relating it to, and then literally seeing like how it it affected you, and then was the start of some things that then put you in a position where you're like, man, I think some of the best things that some of the, the, how do you say it? How do I say it? The, the things that become a, a passion for you. Right. And then become, and you turn that into, to a business. I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're both, you know, capitalists. Like we want to make money off of things, but when you can do it, when you're truly helping people because you at one point needed that help and then you've, you learned from somebody and figured out how to make that even better. Like, I think it's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I've, (laughs) I talked to a lot of mentors when I got the personal finance out of the house where I was like, how can I charge people money for this when they are probably hurting really bad and they probably don't have the money. And this was a pretty affluent guy in the finance realm. Um, he's got his own show and it's like multi, like I think his company does $350 million a year. So it's pretty good. And he's been around for a while and he looked at me and he's like, just because someone needs your service does not entitle them to it. I was like, yeah, damn. Okay. And so then he's like, we talked about pricing and markets and stuff like that. He's like, if the market that you truly care about cannot pay your bills, go kill it in a market that can afford it Mm -hmm. and then provide your service to the people you truly care about. Yeah. It's like that makes a whole lot of sense and that's freaking awesome. So that's kind of what I've, shifted gears to to try to do is really kill it with a very specific market and now provide this education and even coaching you know to guys in the community and gals that are in the eud community um that need it because right well we were talking about the end of the day it's like you can be the best eod tech right you know what to do you have the tools you know how to use your tools but if there's something out side at play that is not in the scope of training that ends it how do we even as a community fix that yeah right how it's like well that's like the instances where and this is total speculation of you know kind of the stuff that i've been thinking about and looking at it's like you have people that you like really look up to and you read about their stories and they're like, man, they were at the top of their game. Like they were great UD techs, yet their name is on the wall. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? And it's like an instance of shit just happens sometimes, you know, yep. which, yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, this this game that I like to get, you know, it's a tough game, EOD, and, you know, it's, you never know when the Grim Reaper is going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, time to get up from the table, yeah. you know, and I just, I would love to know, and it's just impossible metric to, to figure out is 
unless someone out there listening can figure this out, that'd be freaking awesome. Um, how, like, were those avoidable? You know, like, right. was there something going on in their personal lives that if they were just like, have had some extra coaching or some education in that aspect of their lives, maybe they would have been 100% focused at the task at hand because like me, I mean, I, I, and this is like, I don't want to toot my own horn. I feel weird for saying this, but I did have a good reputation up to that point. And I think I still had a good reputation after the fact, but it was like, I did have a good reputation of being a good EOD tech, you know? And that was basic stuff that I missed, like basic. I would be pissed if I was running a drill (laughs) and someone did what I did, you know? Like, what are you doing? Like, just go away and come back when you actually want to train, you know, type deal. And yet that's what I did. And so now it's like, okay, if this is, and this like the capitalist part of me is like, okay, starting a company, I'm trying to fix something, right? There's a need that I see as underserved, which is honestly not being served at all Mm -hmm. um, in our community. And this is education, this basic personal finance stuff. It's like, we try to get everyone so many things, except this. And even when I was at the training unit, right, I was, I sent up, like, I was like, okay, I didn't have a, I didn't have my own program. I was still, I had been certified as a personal finance coach at that point, but I didn't have like a curriculum that I could give to the, the guys and gals at the command. So like, why don't we just got, why don't we just purchase like this basic financial, um, education course? It's like this much money per person. Um, I got a quote, I sent it up, like, I tried to do the whole um, um, supply, like, supply shit kind of procurement way route, yeah. and it got shot down, essentially, at group because it was not a training requirement. Right. So they're like, no. I was like, great. Oh. And so I was like, cool, I'll just go to the Chiefs mess, and I'll put this out, and um, let's buy X amount of spots for E6 and below at the command, um, and then if E7 and up wants to go, they just pay X amount for their spot, you know, whatever. So we can like, and these are the people that we claim that we really care about. So like, let's get them some education that could really end this, right? Like change their lives forever. And it essentially got shut down because there was like, we wanted to repaint a freaking Connex box near the ocean that was rusty. It's like, no shit. It's rusty. It's near the ocean. Also, that's not what we need to spend our money on because there's other pots of money that can pay for that. Right. Yeah. So I was like, whatever. And that's where I was like, dude, we are supposed to care about these people yet. We're not giving them what they need. Right. Yeah. They will be better at work. You want to maximize performance out of someone, fix their personal life. Yeah. Help them with their personal life, and they will show up to work because they want to work. Not just, They're not using it as an escape. They're not going to be there for like eight hours after the workday ends because they don't want to go home. And that's all they're thinking about all day is like, fuck, I don't want to go back home, right? We know plenty of guys like that. Mm-hmm. Hell, I was that type for a little bit. You know, We all go through different chapters. I'm not casting you know, shade in anyone. But fix your shit first so you can show up to do what you actually want to do. And that will eliminate the freaking welfare mentality and state that we have about like, well, I would get out, but I have a steady paycheck, the first and the 15th. So I'm going to stick around and do that. I was like, dude, that is the wrong answer. But I say that caveat, do what you got to do 
for your family. Obviously, mm-hmm. that is the most important thing. However, I want, and it's my wish for all my brothers and sisters out there in this community, and really in the in the, in the country and world for that matter, that you are showing up to do a job because you want you feel a purpose driven need to be there. Yeah, and the pay is a symptom of that purpose, and that's what I want. I want to change the dial so it's not just I'm showing up for a paycheck and like yeah I kind of feel fulfilled after I get the paycheck yeah you know it's that's backwards in my opinion yeah no I, I agree man um I uh it actually I don't know why I thought of this now as opposed to a while ago when you actually said something on this um you talked about you know uh Looking at cars, right? I, I remember when I worked in and out. Um, nice. I, I I loved it. By the Shout way, out. double um, double double. Yeah. What do you get? Animal style. Oh, dude! I'd, Secret menu. Let's uh, talk about in and out for a second. Sorry uh, to cut dear. you. So here's what I would do. Here's what I would do. Yes. Right. So if I went there and I I got my own, I would get I'd get a three by three, animal style. So, a three by three. So yeah, you can you can get. There's one dude that would come in. Him and his buddy and. It was funny because one of them was portly, shall we say, and the other <laughs> one was like looked like he should not be eating in and out. Like in in the terms of looked jacked, right? Looked like all he ate was like chicken and rice, you know, and, and maybe souls. a little yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they would come in, and one dude would get a twenty by twenty, and one dude would get a ten by ten, and the chubby dude would get the ten by ten. And the big dude, I don't know if it was his way of just being like, I will always be better than you or what, <laughs> but like he would get the 20 by 20 and they would come in like once a month or so and, 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 and do a that 20 together. by 20 is 20, 20 meat, 20 cheese. Holy like literally you, shit. So in the, in the brown boxes that you get, you, you, you basically like make the bottom bun, you put that in the bottom of the box and then you just start stacking the meat and cheese. And then at the top of the box, it, it fits like perfect actually. You throw the top bun on. Oh it's, my God. it's ridiculous. That's but, insane. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that was the thing. Yeah. I, yeah. Dang. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of cool stuff. Like there's there's the stuff that, you know, you can you can get and then there's the stuff that you can get because you work there. Because um, you know. Yeah. One of my favorite this is gonna sound disgusting, but I swear it was super good. <laughs> is uh just a regular double double with onions. So when somebody ordered something and then decided they didn't want that or we made it wrong, whatever. Um, just a regular double, double with onions. I take that and you, you do a burger count. So the way you track it is you say, Hey, uh, one burger. And then you track the amount of cheese and the amount of, uh, of, uh, patties. Right. And then that at the end, right talk about spreadsheets there's like a, a legit like spreadsheet at the end of the day You're telling me there's even a list <laughs> to make a hamburger yes yes and that's why they're they're doing so well um but so you, normally you just throw it in this bucket right and then at the end of your shift um the manager's like hey you peon go count all those and then you write it out and then he takes it and puts it in the spreadsheet and everything's like you account for all of your meat and cheese that's what they used to order um <laughs> did less um but what you can do, or what I did, was just the regular double-double with onions, throw that on the backboard, so the, the, the grill station that's not being used, and 
later, like when it cools off, I don't know what it is. It, it doesn't work when I like take it home. It always tastes like not as good when I take it home. But when I leave it on the back and it cools down, I fill in the little sheet myself, right? Like two cheese, two meat, one bun. Cool. Move that. Um, go back an hour later when I actually have time and I'll eat that. And I don't know what it is, dude, but it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It doesn't make sense, but it's so good. I'm going to order that the next time I go to In-N-Out. I'm going to be like, how long does it have to sit? Like a half hour on the back burner? Just until it's like, until like the it's end cold. of your shift. Yeah, yeah. Like until it's cold. You know, I mean, it's not like four or five hours, you know, but okay. Okay. really because you'd leave it back there and there'd be, there'd be three or four back there, you know, different people saving stuff, right? And so if you got four minutes or one minute, you know, it depends on how, how hungry you were, you'd leave your station because nobody's there, right? And you'd run over and you'd just chow it down and you'd wash your hands. And everybody did actually wash their hands. We would get yelled nice, at if we nice. like even thought. Dude, there's so many times where I washed my hands like three or four times because somebody was like, you didn't wash your hands. I'm like, I swear I did. But uh, Got you I, ready for COVID. Uh, right? <laughs> Perfect. Like, you had the training. Like 15 years early. Uh, but no, like I... So I sorry, we were talking about cars oh, yeah, and that's in right. and out. My bad. So... um in and out, you actually make pretty good money, and managers make really good money. They they actually at, at one point I went on air put put out the caps, and they've probably changed now. But it was a lot of money that they capped it because managers were making so much money that they were like, managers can't make this much money. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. But um, so managers of stores that are that are doing even semi well, they're 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 doing all right. Um, and there was one manager at uh, a store, maybe a hundred miles from us. And I was talking to my manager and he was like, yep, this dude, he, he had come by just this trashy, like old Honda civic <laughs> did not look like if you saw him, you would be like, that dude's poor. He is in fact, not poor at all. Um, but the exact same thing that you said, right? That asked him like, why? Cause his drive, his wife, his wife drives like a Range Rover or whatever. And like, dude, why, why don't you have a nice car? And he's like, cause I don't care. Like, I just, I just don't care. I don't care about cars. Like I'm not into it. If I were to have a nice car, it would only be so that you're like, Oh, you have a nice car. It, and that, that's where like, I, I think on that, you know, it's like, I, I like having my, my truck. I like it nice. And actually the longer I have it, the more I realize I could probably calm down a couple steps. Like, cause it's, <laughs> I was actually looking yesterday and there's, there's on my truck, there's lights on each side of the mirror, right? You can press a button and it'll turn a light on the mirror. And I was like, I've never used that except for the one time when I was like, what's this button do? And <laughs> there's a few things on my truck that I'm like, I could have probably saved like at least five grand by not getting an option that I'm like, I just don't use. Right. Yeah. But I like, driving around in a, in a nice vehicle. Cool. At this point I can afford it. But when I couldn't, I was driving a Saturn view. Like, and nice. you know what? That's a beater right there. It, it was. Yeah. I would, I, I had that in EOD school and, uh, on the weekends I would take that thing. Cause it was all wheel drive, not good all wheel drive, but it was all wheel drive. <laughs> and I would go flying through the, the back like trails Heck yeah. Definitely not allowed to do that. And now you can't like, it's all blocked off and everything. It's like but, range road. There's UXO and stuff. Yep, Straight up, dude. I would go flying through there. I'm going to get some extra, extra problem sets so I can get better. Exactly. Way to go, man. Way to go. But you know, I, I, 
I lived in, in my means. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like having a nice vehicle. If you want that, you can afford it. But like definitely Absolutely. having, having a nice vehicle so other people can say you have a nice vehicle is not the reason to have it. You know? Yeah. It's like, backwards. It's yeah. backwards. I'm all about having nice shit. Love yeah. nice stuff. Like, I mean, I had that beater, 07 Kia Spectra, but like you're, you should not be defined by your things. Right. You should have nice things because they're in line with your values. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm the dude that talks about beaters all the time. Yeah. I mean, I do have a nice car now um, that I paid for in cash, right? And and people are like, oh, why do you pay for cars in cash and, and all this other stuff? And I'm like, dude, because it keeps my priorities in check, mm. right? Sure. If you have to ask yourself, can I afford this payment? Versus, right? This is the, it's a simple equa- uh, it's a simple test, right? That we could use as a metric for anything that we buy, right? Especially if it's big ticket. If I'm asking myself, can I afford the payments versus how much does this cost? That is a good indicator that you cannot afford something, right? Right. If I'm asking how much it costs, okay, cool. Because I want to spend a certain amount of money on it. Mm-hmm. That is the right mindset to be in. I'm like, well, I can afford these payments yeah. because, I mean, my truck, right, the Silverado, I don't have it anymore. It's a big part of my story. I had to sell Aww. it. I mean, it was time. But <laughs> I bought it in 09. It was a 2010. So, woo, right, brand spanking. You had three miles. I was an E3 at the time, getting ready to graduate EOD school. So I was like, I'm going to get this bonus coming in here pretty soon. So I'm spending my money before I even have it. The car is, the the truck is $10,000 more than I made in a year at that point in time in my life. I'm like, this is stupid on steroids. I didn't, I mean, now I think that in the time I was like, yeah, I can do this. If I just, if I just don't do anything else in my life, (laughs) I can afford this mortgage payment of a car. Perfect. Let's do it. Um, And then I, of course, was trying to offer it with it all stock, got it stuck. Had to borrow money, had to go to the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society to get a quick loan to pay for my uh, car payment because I had to pay a $300 towing thing to get me unstuck next to a train track. And this is in Gulfport, uh, Mississippi during ECS, <laughs> right? I'm just like doing stupid stuff. And so I miss my car payment because I didn't have enough money because I had to get towed. So I go to Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. And all of these should have been like red flags, but they're almost like, this is just how life is. This is is what normal is. And I didn't really, I mean, again, my mom did the best she could with what she had, but I didn't really have a good, like, this is how you win with money early on in life. You know what I mean? So I was trying to figure this shit out. And very poorly. I learn a lot. I learn better by doing things really poorly (laughs) a a bunch of times than, uh, you know what I mean? And so I like, dude, it's so stupid. But like, I, I then went, like, I, I eventually paid the, the truck off and I just kept it because I, you know, it was my truck, you know, it was my truck. You know, yeah. I had to keep it. But then I had this like, uh, Kia Spectra 07 dude beater. Like, dude, it, the hubcaps are gone. I spray painted the rims black because they were <laughs> starting to rust. So I got like some rustoleum and you're like, yeah, I was looking legit beater, nice. like beater status. The radio stopped working because there was water intrusion in the dashboard. So I just had a Bluetooth speaker in there for my radio. That's awesome. And then again, this water intrusion, I walk, I, I open my door one day and I get in and I'm like, what? My feet are in like five inches of water. Like what is happening right now? <laughs> and so I like check all the seals, like nothing else is wet in the vehicle. I was like, did I leave my window open? Like what's going on? The seats were dry. Everything else was dry. 
I'm like, this makes no sense. I vacuum all the water out and I'm like, okay, cool. Right. Everything's dry now. I started driving and I went to a stop sign. And as I stopped, a bunch of water just started. I was like, what's <laughs> happening? Like I lifted up my shoes. I was like, what's happening? And I still, I think light, um, I think one of the headlights was leaking water and just had a bunch uh, like so and for a while i had been here i've been noticing when i turned it sounds like water slash i was like that's really weird maybe the windshield wiper fluids like acted i don't like i don't know dude it's a beater i don't care so i just like ignored it didn't pay the attention that it needed um but yeah i think when the headlights was leaking water so i eventually just cut all the carpet from the driver's side like front and rear nice. out so literally the there was no carpet in half the vehicle that's awesome like straight beater like metal like i'm standing up like it was straight beater but i love that car um especially when i had to drive to suffolk like every other every month um but yeah it's like the the perception of i want a nice car because it's like this is the this is the trap that we have to get out of right we have to get out of this this trap where it's I want this car. It costs this much money. I can't afford that. I'm going to afford the payment, so I'm going to borrow the money, right? So now I'm going to use money I don't have to buy this car to impress people that I don't even know, that don't even care, right? The only person that cares that I have a nice car is me. When someone pulls up to me, I'm like, yeah, they're looking at my car. Hell yeah. (laughs) They're not looking at your car. They're they're texting or like doing their makeup or like reading a book. Like people are doing anything except for looking at your car and or driving. Um, So it's just, it's such a weird thing. And now it's like, now talk about the freedom and and the mentality side of the house where now I have my nice car, right? Versus a beater. Like let's say a car that is 5,000 bucks, 2,500 to 5,000 bucks that I pay for in cash. That is a beater, right? It gets from point A to point B. It's relatively safe and whatever. If in this scenario, right, let's just go to a grocery store, any grocery store, you pick it, right? Someone opens their car door into your car. That is going to ruin your freaking day mm. if you have a nice car, right? If oh, with my beater, that happened all the time, like all the time. Actually, I thought it would happen a lot, but it just really didn't, except for if it was me, like hitting other people's cars. Um, so that's a thing. Or like the the grocery store, like the cart return. Yeah. I would always leave a note like if, on someone's car if I did that. But not saying that I did it a lot. But when in my truck, right, if that happened, that would have ruined my freaking day. I'm like, who the fuck did this? Yeah. Get the camera, get the security cameras and like talk to the manager. And like, dude, there's nothing we can do for you. In my car, it's like it never happened because I didn't care, yeah. right? And if it did, like, who? It just like it doesn't ruin your day, right? So now, instead of your the rest of your day being consumed with this, and now it's like that's something you're worried about. That's gonna come out at work. That's gonna come out at home, because like now you've just been stressed about this one singular incident that's totally out of your control, yeah. just because someone hit your car, yep. right? And it's just, dude, that I can't even tell you the mental freedom of having a beater like in that situation is i mean now yes i do have a nicer car bmw x6 it's legit i figure you know if i'm just gonna be getting groceries for the rest of my life i want to do it and have fun agreed you know so i did that but that car was i mean honestly it's it's a used one it's, i didn't get it brand new and it is dollar for it was ten thousand dollars less than i bought my truck for really yeah <laughs> so and i cash done boom so now I just have this this car that I can just have fun in. It's nice. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. 
It's great. But it's like, it's an appropriate, it's, it's in line with my values because mm. it doesn't define who I am. Right. It's fun. I like to drive and I've been to a few driving schools and everything like that. So I can really appreciate some of the features in it. And it's, it's, it's not going to kill me if something bad happens to it. Right. Yeah. It's, I know we all have our babies and our, like, like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But don't let it define who you are, right. you know, and it has to be percentage wise in line with how much you make. Right. Mm -hmm. It would be totally out of the question for me to get a brand new 2023 Beamer SUV right now. Those are like a hundred plus thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Um, this is well within and a guideline that I use. I'll just tell everyone is the total amount for anything with wheels and motors. Right. That you own as a family should not be more than 50 percent of your income. Yeah. Right. Combine. So that because it's a depreciating asset. There's there's more than there's more there's too much money tied up into a depreciating asset. Granted, during COVID, we saw used cars yeah, prices go through the roof. Like we actually sold one of our cars for a hundred dollars more than we bought it. Like four years prior to that, I was like, "This is freaking awesome." <laughs> um, so yeah, there was that time, but that's obviously not the standard. Yeah. So yeah, if you have more than fifty percent of your money tied up in vehicles, um, and that's anything with toy uh, with wheels and motors for all of you out there, because I know we have a lot of toys that count as vehicles, motorcycles, dirt bikes, quads, side by sides. When we're talking to a community that likes to have fun and do dangerous shit, mm. stupidly like me, and that's never going to change. Yeah. But we just got to keep that in perspective, right? Um, 50% of what you make should not annually, right. Should not be, um, in cars and vehicles. Yeah. That's just a losing equation, right. And that's pro tip for free right there. Easy. <laughs> um, yeah. Take that to the bank. Yeah. And you'll be able to, because you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a, a couple other things that you had, you had mentioned. Um, and I think, I think a lot of it. I think one of them kind of kind of ties into uh, a kind of a, a a quote or a thought that that you had was uh, it's it's not about yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, does that kind of tie into to this, or where did that kind of thought or statement? That you yeah, that was actually my oh man. My so technically not my first team leader because I had my team leader during training, everything like that. But then I shifted platoons, um, some body bingo was happening. And then my team leader that I deployed with my second team, leader, first deployed team leader that I had would say that all the time. And I'll just give him a shout out. Cause he's an awesome dude, Ross Farrow. Um, and love Ross. yeah, Ross hole is what we used to call him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, love that guy. He was, he taught me a lot EOD wise, but like he would always say that. And at the time I'm like, dude, yeah, okay, dude, I get it. Like, it's not about what you did today, you know, type stuff. But it really resonated with me. And um, because whether it's like lifting weights or managing your money or working on a project or whatever the case may be, like moving the chances, a goal that you want, it's like we can always talk about like, oh, yeah, my PR was like blah, 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 and I used mm -hmm. to do this and blah, blah. And like you're just like close the yearbook, dude. Okay, like move on. It's It puts it in perspective about like what are you actually doing today or what have you done today and when you when the day ends can you look yourself in the mirror and it's like did you maximize your time yeah. and energy and effort to what you want to do 
today? Yeah. And only you can answer that question. Like you're the only one that knows you. And it's like, if you went on a run and like, you're trying to do a, a PR or like at a new runtime for whatever distance, like, did you actually, you're the only one that knows if you push yourself the most that you could push yourself. Right. right. Did you actually exert yourself? Did you have that conversation with your spouse as openly as you possibly could without pushing your own opinion? Right. Mm. Did you do that? Was it all about you? Did you open the door for like that, that engagement activity to, to, to further your relationship or are you just like putting up the barrier? Right. We are the only people that can answer those questions for ourselves. And I think Ross really hit the nail on the head with this quote about it's not about what you did yesterday. It's about what you did today. Cause you could have, and this goes for, it works both ways from a positive standpoint and a negative standpoint, right? If you have a shit day, great. It's not about what you did yesterday. Yeah. It's about what you're doing today. Like you can dwell on that and have another shit day mm-hmm. and that'll turn into a shit week, month, year. And then you're like, where the frick did the last half decade go? Right. Or, you can turn around and be like, okay, yeah, that was shitty, but now I'm gonna today is a new day and this is what I'm gonna do today to fix it, to get better, right? I'm gonna learn from that. And these are the things I'm actually gonna do to get better, right? And I see this so much on social media. It's like, oh look at I'm reading these books this year and like this I'm reading this book and blah blah blah. It's like, why don't you just read one book and actually apply the tenets of that book if it's really that meaningful right. to your life and then read another book after you've actually applied these lessons instead of just like Oh yeah, I'm reading 15 books. It's like it's impossible to implement the knowledge of 50 books or 15 even into your life over the course of a year, right? Yeah. It's it's freaking impossible. Sure, if you like reading, I'm not knocking that, but like it's not about what you did yesterday, right? Oh, I read 12 books, great. Today, did you implement any of those lessons in your life? Um and or uh man, what cuz it was always like if I beat him on a workout, that's where he really first started saying it. Yeah. I'm like, well, yesterday, yeah, I smoked you. He's like, yeah, what'd you do today? I was like, whatever. <laughs> Rest day, ice cream Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so in the defect in that pecan pralines or whatever, pralines and cream. Oh, dude, so good. Best deployment ice cream ever. Nice. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that meant a lot to me back then, and I really do try to emulate it now, especially with coaching and talking about money. And I hear a lot of guys like to kind of like, tell me everything that they've done. You know, it's like, well, I've done this and you know, I'm trying to do this and get better at that. It's like, that's great. What'd you do today to manage your money? Did you track all your expenses? Well, I'll do that at the end of the week. It's like, no dude, if you want to really win, you have to modify your behavior in such a way that is, it feels weird, right? Yeah. It feels unnormal. It feels abnormal because normal sucks. Normal is being buried in debt for the rest of your life and working to pay your bills. That's normal, right? I want you to live a life where you are doing the things you want to do because you want to do them and you have an emergency fund in place where you can you can blow off work and you can get fired for 6 12 months and not worry about income yeah. like at all and you can then get the next job that you want to do because you can do it right and that all starts with tracking all your money right mm-hmm. every single day when you spend money when you get gas open your budget put it in there spent this much right and we can clean up your situation. You know, you're doing a great thing, but it is very busy. Yeah. The budget essentially will take place of all the accounts. Right. Yeah. And this is free unsolicited advice. So, you know, it probably is worth as much as you're spending on it. Um, just your time here with me. Um, we can do that. It's great. You know, you have all the framework you need. You can take that framework and just put it on a piece of paper or whatever app you want and have a budget for all those things and have an, a family operating expense, a fun money, 
like family fund money, mm. whatever, like different singing funds, but really your operating fund will feed all those things. And it'll just take a lot of accounts off the table and yeah. like less things to get hacked. And that's a little bit increased security for you and kind of thing. So it's like, there are ways to tighten the screws, even when you're doing the right thing, yeah. which you are, you know, and that's the point of like, there's always ways to improve. Even me, I'm all like, I have a coach because I believe in it. Right. I need that outsider's perspective. Like, Hey, am I doing this right? You know, that's what I had in EOD and it's hard when we get out. Right. We don't have that anymore unless you seek it out. Yeah. You know, so that's like been a huge learning point for me is like, I love being on a team. I like being independent and like doing my own thing, but I like the accountability of a team. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, said you have a coach. I think that's something that, uh, sometimes people get misconstrued as like, they think, Oh, well, if that dude has a coach, he's, he's not all together. Like, no, 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 no. The, the reason why you have a coach is because that's someone that has an outside perspective at you. You may know all the things and, and a lot of times like, professional athletes it, I, I was a not a professional athlete but like really i know right like <laughs> that's why i'm here uh, <laughs> but on my on my way to at one time thinking maybe i want to go that route right um there are running was my thing back in the day it was yesterday <laughs> it is not today yeah. um, <laughs> um but you know there are runners that can do it all themselves but having that outside person that is keeping you accountable for all the things you already know and looking into you, like, I think it, it makes sense for everybody to have, to have that, to have somebody that can come in and, and look over the shoulder and be like, hey, and sometimes it's just everything's good, thumbs up, continue on your course. And maybe a month goes by or a year goes by and they're like, Hey, I've noticed over the last X, Y, and Z, you know, these things have kind of deviated from what you say is your priority, just like you're talking about. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to see that in ourselves. So like, I think, I think that's valuable. That's it, super valuable. It's, it's incredibly valuable, both from a personal growth standpoint and also financially, like in, in the topic of what I do, right, is my clients typically see a $16,000 financial turnaround in the first six months of coaching, right? So that means that that's a combination of money saved, debt paid off, right? So their, their monthly cash flow will increase. And these are, this income level is roughly $100,000 to $150,000 per year. So that equates to around a 25% increase in cash flow in the first six months. That's huge, right? I looked at my own numbers like, holy shit, like I want that for myself. Granted, I am doing the things that I coach. I would never tell someone to do something that, you know, this is an EOD yeah. way of life. It's like, do not ever tell someone to do something that you are not comfortable doing right. Right? or that you wouldn't do. Um, so I applied that aspect of my EOD background to this coaching practice. And it's like, man, I need... I, I, I want someone an, as an accountability partner, right? And my wife is a great one, but it is nice having an outside in because sometimes she gets really busy with her with her daily stuff mm -hmm. and I get busy with my stuff. It's nice to have that outside perspective for both of us to now, hey, you guys are doing great. However, we've noticed like in these areas, like 
it's getting a little laxed over here. We need to tighten it back up. And that that one instance of feedback, honest feedback, really saves us money, yeah. a lot of money. Um, and same for a lot of other people, right? Um, my bad. Oops. I'm such a noob. I'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's tremendously important. It's like, yeah, it's a it's an upfront expense, but it is saving. It is, I mean, it's a fraction. the The cost for coaching is really a fr- depending on what you you're doing, right? It is the the payout, the the cost associated with it should be a fraction of the payout. Yeah, I mean, like whatever you're doing, whether you're getting coaching for sport. I mean, think about NFL, right? professional athletes in the NFL, how many coaches are on a team? Like an exorbitant amount. Like why are there so many coaches? Because every single position needs a coach. And some people just have individual coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, It's huge because of that accountability. They want to be performing the best. They're squeezing every drop of performance. And really they're squeezing, but they're really eliminating inefficiencies away from what they're doing, the things that they're doing, whether that's, you know, NFL, professional shooting, right? I am an amateur competition shooter now, which is also really fun. Um, That's how I kind of like do the fun things I used to do. Um, But that is like, you know, just really competition shooting is way different than combat shooting just from a mindset standpoint and just like the what you're trying to do, right? I'm trying to put as many rounds in that piece of paper as close together as humanly possible, right? I don't care about someone else shooting at me. Yeah, That's my goal, right? So it's a totally different uh, ball game. And really to do that is, yeah, it's a, a lot of weapons control, a lot of weapons handling, grip, and all that. But it's also eliminating a lot of the inefficiencies out of your weapon and your body and everything else. And, you know, in the military, we couldn't really do that. We can't just hook up our guns however we want to hook yeah. them up, right? We're, <laughs> that's what you got, so have fun, enjoy it. So now we are adaptable, which is a great adaptability exercise. Like, cool, this is my life, and I have to be really good at shooting this gun, right? Um, now I can just hook it up and really eliminate a lot of inefficiencies. Like if it's got a lot of recoil, I can put a compensator on it. I can mm-hmm. port my barrel. I can port my slide. I can reduce weight and all the other things, right? But now I can still like fall back on my training and it never, training never, I'm sorry, all the add-on stuff never trumps training, yeah. right? And putting the hours in and putting the reps in and for your money, for your relationships, everything is the same where if you're not putting in the time and energy to be good at that thing, like I love how you say like there's a, there's a, there's a common misconception with people that have coaches like, oh, they got a coach like they're all fucked up. It's probably the opposite of that, actually, which is it's weird. Like, you know, couples that are in counseling are probably doing better than couples that are not in counseling. You know, it's like I'll be totally transparent with with you and and the audience because, you know, it's our community. It's like me and my wife, we go through some some bad shit, right? Like any other marriage, marriages work. And we talk about it in counseling, right? Yeah. Yeah, we like to hash it out. But having going to counseling really helps us calibrate how we can argue. Yeah, because arguing is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You, there's no way to have like I don't want to argue with my wife anymore. It's like that's an unrealistic expectation or husband, right? And when you know how to have a fight, that's the best way to go, right? Because yeah. now it's like you can understand them. It helps with having that conversation in a constructive way instead of just blowing up mm-hmm. and having like World War Three. And now we're just like pissed off for the next yeah. week at each other. It's like <laughs> exactly. I don't want. I don't even like you. Yeah. I don't like looking at you anymore. <laughs> Get out of my face. Um. But yeah, that that really helps out, right? Yeah. And in marriages, and so it's like I highly recommend like just go talk to someone. Obviously, don't talk to a freaking nutcase that's gonna like. Yeah. Oh, I think you should get divorced right away. It's like no, right? That's not 
that's typically that's a whole nother topic that I that I like to talk about, but I won't get into it because it's it's a long one. Yeah. Um, back to the money side of the house though, and what we're trying to do is eliminate these inefficiencies. And we I'm gonna go dark for a little bit because we talked about the active duty guys and like being in the situation that I was in and me being lucky and how many people weren't. That's like that's something that we really can't do anything about the ones that are like all the cases that have happened. We can prevent it by hopefully eliminating, um, uh, hopefully eliminating those instances when it's due to personal finances, which is a lot, right? That's Mm -hmm. the number two cause of divorce. And it's, it, it affects every aspect of your life. I'm not saying it's the end all be all. It's a huge component though. However, I want to touch on, the veteran aspect of it as a veteran myself mm-hmm. now, um, I want to know, like in this veteran suicide thing is like getting ridiculous. It's like, okay, is it 22? Is it 44? Is it less? Like who, who are we actually tracking? Like how we, can we actually track this metric better? That's one thing. But now I want to know as a veteran, you're dealing with X, Y, Z, you know, from your time in service and your family life and whatever else, all the other pieces that you have going on now. Right. So if we're still not worried about our personal finances and we're just like kind of surviving with that on that side of the house, which is as I was transitioning out, um, I went through, uh, the honor foundation, good shameless plug for them right now. It was a great course. Um, however, in my cohort of around 30 people, we were asked what our top five concerns were in transition, uh, transition, and aside from me, everyone else in the course, right? Everyone else in my cohort, the top three were financially related. Yeah. I want to be, I want to make enough money. I want to provide for my family. I want to have enough to, you know, I want to find a job that can support my lifestyle, like stuff like that, like financially charged in nature, right? The top three out of five for everyone in the cohort. And I can't imagine that we were unique in that regard. I'm right. sure every cohort is very similar. Um, so I started looking at that. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, there's definitely correlation, especially I already had my company at that time. So I'm like obviously doing market research. And then I started like really getting into this veteran suicide thing because it's all over the place. And it's like, okay, man, this is happening. Like I know buddies that have, you know, decided to end it and lost their battle with their demons. And I'm like, how many times has this happened where, and this is another, like, I don't know how we're going to track this metric. If someone out there has a resource, that'd be fantastic. Um, how many times has a veteran been just dealing with their demons, right? They're trying to figure their shit out and they just aren't managing their money. They don't know what's coming, what's where's it going. They have enough money. They're making enough money, mm-hmm. right? Money's not an issue mm-hmm. as far as income is concerned. But since it's not being tracked, let's say the lights go out. It's nothing crazy. It's not like a catastrophic event like a foreclosure repossession something big like that it's like the lights get turned off or um you know the water gets cut off or something something like that where it was otherwise avoidable just by paying the bill right Mm -hmm. that happens and now everything else in their life that is the last justification they need to just end it yeah something very avoidable and I'm just like, how many, how often is this going on? Of the 22 a day, like what, what is actually happening? And it's crazy, right? I, I did a rough extrapolation of my theory to the American public of, you know, the population and how many people 
that are actually tracked essentially commit suicide because of some finance related thing. And it was a staggering amount. I mean, it was in the millions, right, right, of the total population. And I'm like, okay, if we extrapolate that down to the 22, like the percentages, it is absurd. Like, and I don't know if that's correct data. So I don't want to put up the numbers because that was just like kind of my like little project based off of extrapolation of data. And it was just, it was very concerning though, what my findings were, because it was way higher than I thought it was. Yeah. And again, what are we doing to help veterans, right? In my transition class, love THF. They're all like, they helped me so much in my transition, but there's nothing personal finance in there, right? Nothing. And I talked to some people and this is not a, this is not a, a hit on THF, the honor foundation or their view um, I was just talking to other people um, that were not associated with the Honor Foundation, and they were under the assumption, it's like, well, if you think about it, like, why would that be in a transition program? Because these people are already at the end of their career, so, like, it's too late for them. Like, mm. that is a loser's mentality. Yeah. Like, that is a huge loser's mentality, and it's never too late. Right. Like, it's never too late. If you are stressed about your transition... And this is another thing where it kind of ties in that veteran suicide because now we have all these people getting out. If you're not soft, you have TAP, right? That's the military across the board transition, whatever. I forget what it what it transition assistance program. Yeah, right. And it, it is abysmal, right? It's terrible program. There's no real like this is they just throw a lot of stuff at you because like they have like this is what you should need in transition. Let's throw it at you. Um, this is how you build a resume. That's 30 pages. No one wants a 30 page <laughs> yeah. resume. It's like, get, like in THF, they're like, yeah, that has to be one page. So yeah. sorry. Um, and so like, that's the kind of stuff that's going on. It's like, dude, what the, uh. so I'm trying to get this, this info out. So now it's like, how do we get this info, this education to transitioning service members where they feel like they can at least get a plan? Because now if they have no plan and they're getting out, um, a, they're already behind the power curve. So now People are transitioning out of a job that they really did love at one point in time, and now they're getting out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Not that they hate it, but you know, it's just their time is over and they want to do something else. I've talked to people. The main reason why I got out, right? I can't talk for everyone, is because I had a priority shift, right? I wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted to do the, like, my definition of freedom is doing the things I love with the people I love when I want to do it. Obviously, within the constraints of the law. So I could not justify still staying in because it was violating those priorities. Right. Um, and that's just my scenario. I'm not saying that's the right scenario because I had a lot of people volunteer their opinion of me getting out (laughs) as I was getting out. It's like, you really find out who your friends are when you're like, Hey, I want to get out. They're like, okay, cool. You actually never liked me. Sweet. Um, you don't have a, okay, cool. So you really got to, you find out who your friends are and it's like people that really try to help you because it's your decision in your life. Well, like that's who I found were the most valuable resources. The people that are immediately like people that I don't even know. Right. I'm just like having a conversation with someone and then another service member hears it and they're like, you're getting out at 13. Like, what are you stupid? (laughs) I'm like, who are you? Like, um, what? And so anyway, but, trying to get this information so you can make an informed decision not to worry about. So now people are exiting the military and they don't have a plan and now they need a job, right? Now they're searching for a job for the wrong reasons, Mm -hmm. right? Because now I need to provide for my family, which is a right reason, but that should be, your providing for your family should be the symptom of you doing what you 
want to do, yeah. what you feel inclined to do. Like there's a problem at this, this company solves it. I want to be part of that mission, right? I want to sign up for that or I want to start my own company and solve this problem. So now people are taking jobs that they don't want in a transition, which is already hard enough. And now they're hating life because they're essentially doing the same thing they were while they're in without the team that they had and the yeah. people that they knew and the community that they, that they, that they lived in forever. Now it's all new. They're the new kid on the block trying to figure it out. There's an expectation of like, Oh, this guy's a veteran or this gal's a veteran. So they should be like super high performing or whatever. But it's like, they're human at the end of the day and they need to learn it like everyone else. And, you know, as a veteran to the veterans out there, no one owes us anything. Right. So it's like, we have to earn our way just how we earned our way up in the military. And what I want to eliminate is that from happening, right? I want you to get out of the military for whatever reason that, or if you like when you want to get, out. I'm not saying everyone leave the military. Um, when it's your time to transition, it should be right for you because all your ducks are out and you now have something that you want to pursue and you can go pursue it. Because yeah. if I get out the wrong time and I don't have the finance to support that, I'm going to take this job because let's see, I'm going to be stopping. My pay is going to stop on this month. So I need to start pay right then. Right. And now I have no time. Right. No time. At least give yourself a six month buffer so you can figure out what you want to do and then pursue that. Mm -hmm. And for the general population, Gen Pop, I found that this situation was having catastrophic effect during COVID. Um, very sad events were happening, right? Where people were losing their jobs, getting laid off, whatever they couldn't provide for family. So now they didn't have that emergency fund in place. So now they're taking jobs that they needed to fulfill because they had to provide for their family. So now since instead of just like, okay, cool, that that job didn't work out because of whatever reason, I have time to search for the next thing and it be the right fit. We have a conversation. We get, we, I get brought on board like that. They like me for who I am and what I can provide to the team and the value that I add. Not I'm filling a position. I'm a number and right. go, go to work, right? Be productive. I saw that too often where the latter was happening, right? Just find a job, go be productive, make money, provide for your family because they still got to eat. Now, their fam, their relative was placed on a vent, didn't have a great outlook, and it was probably their last opportunity to go visit this person. Um, so now they just started this new job that they really didn't want, and their company really doesn't care about them. Yeah. And they have this family event that's going on. It's like, I need to go and visit this family. A, I don't have the money to do that, so I'm going to reach to a credit card or a personal loan to get money so I can go make that trip and be out of work or I'm going to lose my job because now they're like, you don't have any PTO saved up because it doesn't invest in this shitty job until like, you know, whatever, four or five months and whatever the case may be. And, or you only have like four days, right? When it's like, you're going to eat a day and a half, just travel. And so now you have like that, sure, like cherish that moment. But now that is like really limiting what you truly value, especially if that is someone you care about, you want to get there to be with them. Yeah. And a lot of people were not able to do that. And that really breaks my heart because if we just build these foundations that are legit and solid, people will have the luxury of time, right? Yeah. Because we can't buy time. 
Like, I don't care who you are. Unless Elon, you're listening to this, dude. I've been telling you for months to, like, figure out a way that we can buy time. <laughs> In an event, he'll get on it eventually. Um, hopefully. We can't write a check for five more minutes, right? right? And how often, I mean, I know I've done this a lot, especially with, like, mentors that have died, right? It's like, I would have, I would give anything for one more conversation, one more handshake, one more hug, one more, you know, if it's a loved one, it's like one more, you know, just anything. Yeah. And you can't write a check for that. You can't, no matter how much money you make at the end of the day, when the Grim Reaper taps you on the shoulder, the game's over, right? You got to stand up and see you later. Right. There's no like, Hey, but just no, just go. Right. So we can, buy ourselves time by giving ourselves these foundational securities where securities, I should say, um, safety nets, I should not securities, right? I'm not a financial advisor. I can't <laughs> do that. I have to say that legally. Um, but once we give ourselves that those buffers, we can take time and not worry about really the repercussions because we just don't, we don't need it, right? Yeah. We don't, we can, okay, if you don't like this, great. I'm going to take six months off and go find another job that actually fits me because this is like, I mean, obviously that's not the first conversation you're going to have with yeah. these people, <laughs> but if it comes down to that, you have the leverage now to say, okay, maybe this is not right for me. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to, because this is important for me, right? Yeah. And it's, I'm going to ask them for like two weeks, whatever. Anyway, so having like managing your money just impacts your life in so many ways. It just, it touches every aspect of your life. Yeah. Right. And when we do it well, we really gives ourselves, we really provide a sense of freedom for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like it, man. Um, and it, it really does. I, I agree. It, it touches everything. And, and I like that the, the key is not, and I don't think it, it ever should be, even though some people, say it it is the key is not making more and more and more the key is working what you do have and giving you like you say and like your company says the freedom to be able to do the things you want right and if if at the point that well i'll go to 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 me in the military every time i've come up for a portion you know uh an enlistment right i've always thought and i think everybody should think seriously about getting out not not everybody should get out at every opportunity obviously i'm still going um but i've thought seriously about it and what i one of the things i thought before i got to that point is if i want to get out can i i.e do i have to get a paycheck on the next 15th the first whatever um and making sure that the answer is always yes i can get out no i don't have to get that paycheck um but then also like, do, do I want to keep doing this? Cause I think, I think one in any job, you should think that, right. Do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? But especially in a job where the consequences are pretty high, right? Like yeah. if you don't actually want to do the job, you should probably find something that you do want to do. Cause either you're not going to be focused on it or you're just, you're just kind of there. I, I don't think we have a lot of people that are there for the prestige of it because we're so quiet that nobody knows who the freak we are but until now (laughs) yeah yeah i'm putting us on the map (laughs) um but you know the i I think the the key is just like you're saying and and like you're you've been you've been talking about you know is is uh 
having the, the freedom with what you have, like managing what you do have. And then you can focus on if, if the thing you want costs more money, figuring out a job or an interest that then provides more of the money. Right. But absolutely. Yeah. If you don't figure out what you have right now, that other part, it's everything. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's everything like the compass. That is why the compass is right. It's a, it, it's kind of corny, but I really like it. <laughs> It's uh, it's an old Mariner's proverb where if, you know, you're sailing, <laughs> this is hilarious coming from a Navy guy that's never been on a boat, um, but still, I like it. <laughs> oh, God. Almost done. <laughs> Jesus, what was that? It's an ID in here. Um, the, if you, if you don't know how to use a compass, you're stuck to the shoreline, right? You have to, like, your hands are tied. You have to stay to the shore. You have to stick to the shore so you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. When you learn how to use a compass, the ocean is yours. You can go anywhere, right? Because you know how to navigate. And that's so huge. And the compass is the budget, right? It's the golden compass that will drive everything. And if you want to go somewhere in life, obviously we don't navigate with compasses anymore. But in fact, we do because everyone, I don't go anywhere. Rarely, rarely any place I go. I use, I punch this address into my GPS today, right? So I could get here. Before my phone can give me directions, it has to locate where I am, Mm -hmm. right? It cannot give me directions to anywhere I want to go if it doesn't know where I am. If it cannot acquire satellites, it cannot effectively calibrate the compass to point me in the right direction, right? So if I don't know where I'm at financially, all my goals that I want to have, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a new car, I want to start a family, I want to, and like, you can actually plan to start a family, you don't just have to do that reactionary for the record. Impossible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just just saying, right, we can have a talk about that later if you guys want. Um, But you can plan for these things, right? And you have to know where you're at now in order to know how you're going to get there, right? We can't go hit a target if we don't even know where we're going to land first, right? We just can't. Um, you can't RSP an ID if you don't know where it is. Case in point, me, I had no idea I was standing next to someone that was going to fucking kill me for 40 minutes until I was told it was there, right? right? And then I was like, okay, that was that was shitty. But thankfully, I relied on my training at that point, and I was actually able to focus and get and, and do the right thing now that I was backpedaling and against an inanimate object. So now it's like, great. But that's the situation I want to avoid for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, sure. We're going to have stumble upon stuff in life. It's going to happen. You're going to find out that your girlfriend is pregnant. Sure. That's a great, that's a big stumble upon thing, but how you react to that and you can prepare, you can either brush it off. And this is not just talking about your girlfriend getting pregnant or you are now pregnant and whatever. It, it can be anything, right? You have a crazy financial situation. Like you find out you have this medical condition. You find out that your spouse has a medical condition. You find out your kid is going to need a lot of extra medical care. Um, you're, you're in the private sector and you're going to get laid off. And like all these things, like life is going to come at you when you least expect it. But when you are prepared, a lot of these things, while they're very serious, you can actually focus on what you should be focusing on is your family and what needs to be done instead of worrying about where the money is going to come from. Yeah. And that's huge. And I see that all the time. And I will always offer on that note, 
I will always offer my services 100% for free to any Gold Star family that has lost a loved one and now they have no clue what to do with all of the money and where the money is supposed to come from and where it's supposed to go. I will always provide my services for free for those families just so they can actually focus on the loss of their loved one, which is what they should be focusing on, not worrying yeah. about all the financial aspects that will follow, yeah. um, that they will be faced with. Um, just like, you know, that's a, that's the extreme example, um, to my, you know, less, less significant radiator problem, right? We can get new radiators. We can't get new people, obviously. Um, but still like if you have a, uh, kind of an insignificant, I want to say event like my radiator, that turns into an inconvenience, not an emergency. Right. When you have the serious issue, like the death of a loved one, now you can focus on actually losing that person yeah. and, and, and paying attention to all the rest of your family instead of like, how are we going to have a funeral for this person? Where's this money going to come from? Well, they did that. They did this. They did that. I don't even know any of these passwords. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like have a legacy box, have a way to access everything. You know, like you, I, you know, our wives are very similar. My wife, if I died today, I don't know if she would be able to log in all my stuff. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. We have a legacy box where she can log into and everything is right there laid out. Yeah. Right? So she can actually function without me, despite what I, you know, like to believe, yeah, right. <laughs> um, she will be able to replace me financially via life insurance. She'll be able to continue on and money will be the last thing that she worries about. Yeah. Right. Which is the best gift, I guess. I, it's not the only gift, but it's a good gift that you can give to your family. You know, yeah. if in the event of your untimely death, and obviously we're kind of taking a left turn here talking about like money and death, but it's, it's an important part of life, right? You know, it is, and, it is. and if we're set up, you know, it's all part of that foundation. Now my wife, my children will be okay financially. Now they can go figure out everything else they need to figure out yeah. without me, you know? And yeah. I hate thinking about that, but it is, it, it needs to be thought about. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's important. Um, yeah, decisions you make now affect you throughout your life, but can affect your family's life after you're gone. And that it's it's important. And it, yeah, it's it is not the sexy thing to think about, but I mean, most of us at some point or other do think about that, and then it it puts you in a position where yeah, you you are a little more free to to go out and do some things that you you want to do because you know people are taken care of and they know that, um, you know, they're not, obviously nobody wants to lose someone. Right. But right. It, it is, it's just a little more, uh, freeing when, when you know what the plan is, you know, and it's, it's actually a good plan. <laughs> yeah. And you can, it's a plan that you can rely on. Yeah. Right? It's not going to go anywhere. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you said it really fast once at least the, uh, the name of your company, but you want to throw out like the name of your company and, and you know, how to reach you if, if anybody does want the, the services. Sure. Yeah. My company is golden compass LLC. It's a three legged stool. We focus on personal finance, communication and leadership coaching. And, uh, it's like a fire triangle, right? Communication, leadership, personal finance. If one of those things is suffering, um, 
the other two will be severely impacted um, and not in a good way, right? It'll snuff out the fire. Um, so goldencompassllc.com is our website and Golden Compass Financial Freedom is the financial arm of that company. And that's where I predominantly focus on a lot of my attention. Uh, my teammate, Ivan Ingram, is uh, the CEO of the company and he really heads up a lot of the leadership uh, stuff like that. Um, and we do a great, we do, I mean, if I do say so myself, <laughs> we do a great, uh, you know, we, we attack things, um, as a team and we do team keynotes and it, they're just like, they, we've had really good feedback on nice. this and, uh, uh, companies, organizations really love it. Um, so if you want, if you have a, uh, an event coming up or like a company offsite or anything like that, that you want to talk about any of these things, company, I'm um, sorry, personal finance, communication, leadership, um, we can come out, figure out what you guys want, and really give you guys a product and an experience that you will not forget. Because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we believe, my, I mean, my core belief of, for the company is that there's a leadership crisis in America, right? There's a leadership crisis in America, and we will never fix it in Washington, period. Yeah, I agree. We will only fix it by getting better at leading ourselves, uh, leading our families, leading our communities. And then once we fix that, right, we can, we can fit, we, the people can fix those things ourselves. We don't need anyone from Washington to come in and say, to fix our family for us. Right. It's never going to happen for right. one. And you don't want it to happen for two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we do that, we as a society will be able to put forth better candidates to Washington to represent us. Um, so that is obviously a very long drawn out, process but that is what it is going to take and that is the vision of the company of golden compass is to fix the leadership crisis in america via those three things and that's how it's that that's unless someone else has another way let me know because that's the only way it's going to happen <laughs> yeah now i i agree it makes sense um and I, I i totally agree that like the most important thing you can do is is uh fix the things that you you can and usually those are within arm's reach like you, your family, the community that you're in, your local community, your little bit broader community. And then outside of that, exactly what you said, those people are the ones who then go on and beyond. So if you're taking care of that, you can actually expend energy and see the result of that energy as opposed to yelling at your congressman and probably not even actually him, just his aide. Exactly. <laughs> Wasted time and energy. Yeah. You'd be focusing that somewhere else. Exactly. Um, no, I appreciate, uh, one, just sharing, sharing your story, um, your, your EOD side and then leading it to, um, what you're doing now. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I, it, it's cool to see it. One of the awesome things about this community is that there, there are people like you that, right. Take the, the foundation that you had before, take the EOD skills that you were able to build on that. Right. Cause I, I really feel like most of us had a solid foundation, whether it was self built or, you know, with circumstances or just people in our lives before, but then we come into EOD and like, we generally like, like are drawn to this because of a lot of the stuff previous. Right. And then you build that and then continuing on to like, you know, um, seeing that, uh, that, catalyst or a couple of, of events that, that pushed you into 
hey, this is what I want to spend my time and focus on. And being able to make that decision to get out because your priorities have changed, I, I think that's awesome, man. Thanks, brother. So appreciate you coming on and, and sharing, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.